Welcome to Andy, James and Andre Talk Money Stuff. Although Andy is the Oracle of Latham, and James is super smart, they are not your gurus. We are not your financial advisors. Please listen to the end of this episode for a full disclaimer. Thank you for listening. Back episode twenty-two. Uh, it's the thirtieth of October, and uh, yeah, we're back starting to rack up the number of episodes. Twenty. There's a lot of content, man. So, I think what does that mean? Now we're at like what's three? It's like sixty hours or something. Somewhere yeah, between spent- forty and sixty hours of uh, of education. Yeah, it means we're not particularly concise about our. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> We've, we've, that's I prefer as long, the term decentralization. It's as long as a book. There you go. <laughs> so what's been happening? I made up two jokes I'd like to share. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what did the computer programmer call his son? Cody. <laughs> and, and I told my mate Sonny, who's a computer programmer, and he didn't find it very funny, so then I made up a joke in tribute to him. What did the guy who had a son who liked digging at the beach. What did he call his son? So he has a son, the son likes digging at the beach. What do you call his son? So it's not Doug. No, S- Sandeep. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> that's his that's name. That's so. good. That's good. Uh, racist. It's not. It's, called, it's cultural appreciation. Appreciation. It's sunny and Sandeep. Oh, appreciation. The same thing. There you go. Yeah. Anyway, so that's, that's, um, that's been my week. <laughs> yeah. How about you, James? No, I can't match it. Oh. <laughs> Uh, so maybe we'll start in with a, a geopolitic check-in. Anything? I haven't really been paying attention except for the reading the usual stuff there in terms of Russia and China and, and all that sort of stuff. Have you guys come across anything? Seems like they're kind of um, more vocal about being kind of allied with each other, Russia and China. And there was some Chinese dude coming out saying something about them being buddies with Russia. Mm. Um, I think the chips thing, I think that's really thrown the gauntlet down, that, that thing about the um, semiconductors. Yep. I think that's uh, lines in the sand are getting drawn and um, yeah, it'd be interesting where the Saudis fit into it. Um, there's this Korean thing about being the shrimp between the whales in history. Um, the whales are either Japan or China and Korea as a shrimp has to negotiate those waters as best they can and, and maybe Saudi Arabia will be the shrimp between the whales of um, the, the Russia-China kind Not of alliance runs, yeah. and then, the, then the, um, the West. So maybe maybe Saudi is just playing a very clever shrimp game because everyone wants Saudi on their side. So, yeah. Mm. Mm. Anything I can think of that uh, was... I guess was interesting was the you know the Russians have now uh, stopped or, or said they won't guarantee that um, Ukrainian grain transports um, because the well not 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 uh, acknowledged by the Ukrainians but there was a very large explosion at Sevastopol and apparently the new flagship of the Black Sea fleet has been um, badly damaged. Um, Sorry, a Russian ship? Yeah, Russian yeah. ship, yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember so. hearing something about the Russians saying it's British-backed or something yeah. like that. And that, that, I guess, always escalation if it starts being NATO countries getting called out by Russia. 
Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's it might be British in the sense that they've been provided with some, you know, weaponry, but mm. obviously it's not them pulling the trigger or whatever. Well, you ho- I guess in terms of de-escalating, hopefully it's not them pulling the trigger, yeah. yeah. Um, but I wasn't it, there, I don't know what's obvious. Yeah, it's a very, very bright explosion on, on YouTube. Yeah, right, yeah. I haven't seen it. Mm. There you mm. go. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I've, I've got nothing big to say on, on geopolitics apart yeah. from, yeah, it looks like kind of like people are starting to pick sides a bit mm. and make it um, explicit. Mm. I, I guess the only thing with with that is the, you know, the flow on of grain shipments not getting to the Middle East and, um, you know, how does that affect the politics in, you know, North Africa and, and you know, various, you know, um, Middle Eastern countries that rely on the grain? I had read some sort of like joint statement from years ago done by the Russians and the Chinese saying that all countries have democracy, it's just in different ways. It's like, yeah, you know, in, in our democracies, <laughs> no one gets to vote apart from me and my wife because <laughs> we're the dictators. But yeah, it's like kind of like trying to like, you know, everyone's democratic and they're in different way. And, you know, if you want true democracy in international relations, all countries should be having a vote. Like it shouldn't be um, the the G7 dominating things or whatever. And it's like... You know, you got these countries that dictate issues and then they're bitching about not having um, equal votes in international relations. And it's kind of like, well, Australia's got, say, 25 million people. So whatever Australia votes represents half plus a little bit of the Australian population because that's, you know, how our democracy works. It's like if you've got a dictatorship, it's like you got one vote. <laughs> not, and, you know, Australia's got 13 million votes, but they're trying to act like, you know, we're all democratic just in different ways. It's like, yeah, right. It's interesting <laughs> seeing the the statements, like when you see those those Putin speeches and the it, and it's fully, it seems to me like the, the two plus two is five sort of thing. There's like, stop hitting yourself. You know, it's like... <laughs> It's uh, it's a bit scary. It's all a lot of it's like so much rhetoric, rhetoric, rhetoric. Yeah, a lot of rhetoric from these politicians. I mean, all of them. Yeah, uh, you know, just just using using language devices and story devices. And I mean, you know, what what was it? Ronald Reagan said Hollywood's a, sorry. Um, politicians are just people who wanted to be actors but were too ugly. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from Zelensky, obviously, he was an actor. So. I guess back on the democracy thing, I always liked it how um, dictatorships, you know, name themselves. Like, say, say East Germany was, you know, the Deutschland Demokratische Republik, like the German Democratic Republic. And, you know, there's also, you know, all these, you know, all the communist countries are, you know, the People's Republic of, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah or, yeah. or, you know, Democratic Republic of Congo or whatever it is, you know. That, the irony of the naming. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's d- deliberately Orwellian, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mm. Uh, also, I mean, before we move on, I, I have been horrified recently. I'm not going to lie, I've been traumatised for the last few days. Saw this video, um, Christopher Hitchens talking about Saddam Hussein's rise to power. And it's a video of um, Saddam Hussein in like the Ba'ath Party conference or whatever um, with a cigar. And then this dude comes out and apparently says that he's been part of a conspiracy to take Hussein down. And um, then like guards just start taking out party members um, to kill him outside and then people in the hall all start saying, you know, glory to Saddam, glory to Saddam and more and more people get dragged out and then the other party members are told if you if you really mean, you know, if, you, if you're really behind this and a conspirator, ever go and shoot the party members or whatever. But it's like, yeah, the most... Um, An actual video of it. Yeah, the most Game of Thrones crazy shit I've um, yeah, I remember seen what, in ages. It just traumatised me. I watched an old... 
It might be a vice. It doesn't show them getting shot. It shows like in the hall and then apparently they're getting taken out back and then they're, you know, like 10 seconds ago, their political colleagues are being told to shoot these guys. But yeah, Yeah. it's like, yeah, yeah, full gangster. Yeah, I remember watching, I think it's a vice documentary on Liberia, the cannibal warlords of Liberia. And they show some footage of like, I guess, one party that sort of overtaken... uh, whatever the offices of power or something, but it's got, it's got footage from inside when they stormed the office mm. and basically they've got this like one guy surrounded and they're like kicking him in the back and threatening to kill him. And it's like the terror and the, like, you don't mm. see him actually getting killed and stuff, but just like the terror in his voice, like, ah, stop, I'll talk, I'll talk. Yeah. Whoa. Full on. But yeah, equally disturbing, I guess, like your. Yeah. It makes a, makes you appreciate the functional enough democracies that we have. Yeah, that you can lives. be complacent about and like complain about them and stuff and nothing happens to you. you know? Yeah, apparently in this, like, you know, with Saddam Hussein, it was so full on that if you're in a coffee shop reading the paper and you spill your coffee and it spills on the image of Saddam Hussein, the police are coming and you're dead kind of thing. It's like that. that is like... Your life's over. Yeah. Or if not life's over, it's like it's the biggest mistake of your life, I think, in the Hitchens thing. And there's all that stuff. We, can you remember that stuff with, you know, how he's, he's Uday and Husay or something or his sons. But mm. Uday was like, he used to like give, give electric shocks to the Iraqi national soccer team and stuff. Yeah, right. It's really like crazy stuff. Oh, yeah. You know. Anyway, so that, yeah. Back on to the next thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, so I did some further listening of that Steve San Angelo Palisades radio episode. Pretty scary, man. Like the idea that we're just running out of oil and and um and the the oil's getting shittier and, and it's running out quicker and we we don't have enough of the stuff to pull out this the renewable stuff that we need. It's uh it's pretty scary. Yeah, and and he, so he's talking about that gold is a way that at least for a temporary amount of time, you can preserve your wealth because it's a representation of the energy. And um, it's a bit like Bitcoin was criticised for being so energy intensive. Gold surely has the same thing as a yeah. energy but, but intensive I th- I think, bad for the environment. Thing. I think it's a little bit different in that if you're talking about physical gold that has already been mined, as opposed to Bitcoin, where you need an ongoing. You know, if you have if you have gold in a vault, the energy involved with that is not. Yeah, it's done. No, it's no, a spent cost. Whereas Bitcoin, you need to keep solving that. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, the thing interesting with uh, um, you know oil stuff is that apparently Biden in America has been having a go at the oil companies for keeping their profits and all that sort of stuff. Um, I think in Europe as well, the oil companies have been criticised for keeping their profits, which in theory disincentivizes them from doing stuff that makes them more profits because there's a risk that the government takes them. But that's um. There's always talk about jurisdictional risk when it comes yeah. to commodities. Um, you know, in some war-torn African country or Bougainville, with a you know copper mine there, whatever the jurisdictional risks are. It's interesting with oil. You're looking like you're having first-world countries that should be T1 jurisdictions now, talking in ways that make a, a jurisdictional risk with the extra um, taxes they might be imposing on oil companies. Yeah, I mean, makes Australia. I think Australia is pretty safe for that. Mm. So. Um, you get this oil ETF, I think, called F-U-E-L, fuel, mm. whatever. Yep. It's got a basket of um, oil companies. And yep. I remember I um, I had shares in that and actually sold and bought Woodside. That's because, on the ASX, is it? Yeah, the F-U-E-L a, is. Yeah, the beta um, shares. Yeah, yep. it's more diversified than Woodside, but I, I had sold a while ago and bought 
Woodside because of that concern that yeah. there'd start to be taxes on the yeah. um, excess profits from the oil companies, but yeah. I didn't think Australia would do it. But, I mean, and Australia's already got the re- uh, petroleum resource rent tax anyway, so it's kind of like we we don't need to go to that <coughs> extra, um, you know, uh introduce a sort of a super profits tax because on the petroleum industry we've already got a resource rents tax. I wonder how that works with the Woodside. I think their assets are BHP oil assets and I think they might be in America. So I don't know if they get taxed in America or if they have some loophole. Anyway, I don't own Woodside anymore. Probably should have. They're up more. <laughs> so, no, well. Huh. Yeah, but I mean that, that that's, um, you know, I think it is a – because obviously San, San Angelo uh, goes, you know, well down the sort of peak oil. Well uh, down? Like the oil is down on oil? Man, <laughs> brain exploded. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I, it is. I, it, it, it will be interesting to see how things roll out because if, you know, he was talking about 2025, you know, uh, uh, you know, a, you know, sort of kind of like a terminal decline in, in oil production um, and no sort of alternative, um, you know, being of available, you know, in substantial enough way. Mm. Um, and, I mean, it is actually a curious battle between, um, say, things like, you know, the, the electric vehicles, which are quite often paddle on sales of electric vehicles are, are growing very, very quickly. Um, and it's something like... Sixty percent of oil is used in transport, yeah, and probably um, I think it's like fifty percent of all oil is like road type transport, yeah, um, and sort of roughly um, you know two thirds of that is kind of you know small vehicles, and one yeah. third is like you know large trucks and things like that. So, uh, but if you get some movement into um, larger vehicles, it's just curious because you could actually get a situation where Oil production is declining, and the demand for oil is also declining. But it's a matter of, you know, who's going down for the, you know, yeah. the most first, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, also, Kem Carson is it C E M K R S O N? I think he he he's a. I like listening to that dude, but he he. I think it was him talking about. Um, speculating that maybe Saudi Arabia has cut or OPEC has cut the production simply because um, they'd been pumping too hard and they need to slow down to help the wells fill up a bit and it's nothing to do with anything but they just don't want to say that when they pump hard yeah. the wells deplete and they need to let them fill up and, and their reserves aren't as big as they're saying. So that, And that's an interesting th- yeah. thing too. If Saudi Arabia is being a shrimp between the whales, yeah. that they kind of do need to pretend they got lots of oil because that's their leverage. Yeah. Because Eric Townsend on Macro Voices uh, was saying that um, the so they had a two million barrel a day cut, but he said the actual production cut was only 0.8 million barrels a day, and the reason was that the sorry the two million barrels was a quota cut, but a number of the OPEC producers can't meet their quota, mm, so yeah. they kind of infers that, you know, with oil prices where they are and with it, you know, and they're probably kind of higher for, you know, non-US countries because of the US dollar being high as well. So the US dollar is high and the oil price is high in US dollars, um, that it's unlikely that 
um, there'd be countries not meeting their quota if they were had the ability to meet their quota. Because you want to be selling when the price is high. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, that like Kem Carson too, I think it was him, was saying, Kem, Kem, I don't know. Anyway, he, he was saying, I think it was him, that when you look at the tightness in the market, imagine if um, like there was a drone attack on a Saudi oil oh. facility and like that would just like, like that happened a couple of years ago and there was like a little, like, you know, massive, well, not, there's, there's a reaction in the oil markets because of a bunch of oil getting taken offline. We're in very crazy geopolitical times at the moment. What if what if a bunch of oil got taken offline? What happens to oil then? Oh, then you use the, the strategic petroleum reserve <laughs> <laughs> if there's any left. Shout out to all our American fans. <laughs> yep, that's it. Go on next. Cool. Uh, so in other news, uh, the Tesla, Elon Musk takeover, and then he like sacked all the CEOs. What do you think of that? Well, I mean, and it makes it, sense. And it looks like, so just looking at this diagram, so we're looking at the Apple stocks app thing of the Twitter uh, share price over the last year. It seems like it's kind of gone near its near its high of the of the last 12 months. It's rebounded back from 30 bucks up to 55 bucks. Well, it kind of makes sense. Like, I think he had exactly. a takeover pe- price. Pe- people think he's cool or- Well, like- they had a takeover price. So he put in, like, he went out and said, <coughs> oh, man, I'll buy Twitter at whatever the price was, 52 or 54 or $56. Yeah. And then February, I'm guessing you see a massive rise just after February. That's probably when Elon Musk said he wants to buy Twitter. Yeah. So the price goes up and then nothing happens for a while. Everyone gets bored. Price goes down. Maybe Elon's going to get out of the deal or whatever. And then, yeah. you know, eventually he was forced to actually buy it. And yeah. the price went up to the the purchase price that Elon Musk had. Yeah. Well, it says 53.70 there. I don't know what the purchase price was. Maybe it's 56 and people just thought, well, I'll bail at 53.70. I don't know exactly how that works there, but... Mm. Yeah, I mean, the, the it went to the price that's close to what he said he'd buy it at. Yeah. And that's it. That's that's the price movement. So I'd yeah. say the big rise post-February was Musk expressing, you know, saying he wants to buy it and then it drops because everyone's like, oh, he's not going to buy it. And then mm. eventually he buys it and the price goes up. Yeah. So because I'm not a, a, a well-versed Twitter user, um, what, do, what do you think? Of it. Do you think it'll change the platform much or? Well, I think. I mean, because you use it quite a lot, right? Yeah, I've got to stop doing it actually. I'm, t- wasting, I was I'm, I'm, around so, I'm surprised you haven't said anything to get yourself kicked off. Yeah, no, I don't say anything. <laughs> I'm anonymous on Twitter, but um, yeah, I was, I was screwing around on it for two hours last night. I was like, what are you doing? Get a life. This is like completely <laughs> like wasteful. It's just like you're literally just looking at a screen like a moth. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll stop using it now that I realized I'm that addicted. Um, but yeah, I mean, what. Do you do you want a really rich person controlling an asset like that? It's kind of like the Murdochs controlling the press or whatever. Mm. So I mean, there, there's a risk that he's a rich, powerful person who can use it for influence. He he says he won't. Um, good luck, I guess. Ultimately, given how moral hazard works, you know, power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely, with with any power, there's corruption. I'm 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 bankrupt. Um, when it comes to exercising ethical power with my children, I'm a, I'm a dictator. I don't mean to be a dictator. I try not to be an asshole, but you know, with little kid disputes and all that sort of stuff, it's like you know, I'm some sort of erratic dictator, like trying to manage these guys. Um, and and I understand how people in actual power, uh, you need checks and balances in a system. You know, a system with checks and balances stops at my wife's a check. So what do you do? You like embargo their resources? Well, I mean, yeah, no, sometimes no breakfast. Like- you'd- 
Well, you know, one, one of the kids has something he doesn't want to share. It. Yeah. It's like, what do you do? Sometimes you kind of like threaten we'll take something of yours. It's yeah. like that's arbitrary confiscation of property. Yeah. Like imagine a country who just arbitrarily confiscates property because you refuse to share your car. It's like, you know, <laughs> what kind of a dictator is this person? Name's Daddy in this case. But um, <laughs> like there's a lot of these like, you know, things that you've got to negotiate as a parent. And I'm just saying with that small amount of power in my little house, um, I stuff up constantly. I don't, I don't mean to, but I do. And, and then there'll be checks and balances with my wife or even the kids getting upset. So yeah. um, you need checks and balances and that's it. And, and Elon Musk now owns this. Where's the, where's the checks and balances going to be? Um, you know, imagine he owned it and then put all these checks and balances in place. Wonderful. Um, but I think, I think Twitter was um, politically biased before Elon Musk bought it. Um, maybe it'll be politically biased after he buys it or maybe he sets up this, you know, magical Twitter democracy or whatever. Um, who knows? Because one thing that is we potentially might see is that the business is run as a business and it might actually be one of these, you know, cases where capitalism obviously works better than political, you know, people with political motives running a business. Um, because if it's run for, you know, people don't want to be on a platform where there's a whole lot of, you know, nastiness going on, but they also don't want to be on a platform where they can't, you know, express ideas and, and you know, they end up getting chucked off because they're, you know, they're... They kick the bloody president off. It's like, seriously, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. but there's this idea that what is the media supposed to be the fifth estate or something? Fourth. Um, fourth estate, yeah. yeah. Um. This is the thing for me, all right? I, I don't like politicians when they don't answer questions from the media. Um, any question the media asks, a politician should answer, no matter how stupid or offensive it is to the politician, because the media is effectively the voice of the people. It's not really, but it's um, the media's asking because people who read the papers or whatever yeah. want, the, want to hear the answer. Yeah, they should shine a light into dark places. Yeah, or even just, you know, if you're in a town hall and, and someone asks a question and you're the elected re- elected representative, answer the, answer the question. You work for you work for them. Mm. So the, the media's asking questions allegedly on behalf of the population or whatever. The politicians should answer the questions. Um, and, and for... Twitter to to stop a politician talking um, is is very problematic. Um, you know the the politicians should be speaking to the population and, and cutting that avenue off. Mm. So like, who are you to say what the rest of the population is capable of listening and understanding? Um, you know, it's, it's incredibly obnoxious as far as I'm concerned. So I, I thought that was outrageous. Um, getting a, a sitting politician in their own country off off Twitter because mm. I mean my initial view is that. It, you know, it will probably be better and it will probably be better for the business and shareholders as well. Well, there's only one shareholder now and it depends right. what the shareholder wants to do with it. Like maybe the shareholder wants to just to do propaganda. Wait, so he <coughs> – so just to clarify, he bought everything? He owns it. It's his now. It's, it's his it's, toy. It's delisted and something, isn't it? Yeah, so I mean – Oh, it, so this is what I'm looking at now is like I, I can't go and buy Twitter shares. That's right. You can't buy Twitter shares anymore. Oh. They're gone. But Elon Musk could – with Twitter, just start like you know how algos and AI and all that sort of stuff start like influencing people. It's like a thing apparently Google, Facebook, whatever. All this subtle um, information, you know, um, pushing your own yep. biases, feeding your own biases, making people divided and argue. Apparently, all this crap happens. Mm. Elon Musk with the AI and all that sort of stuff could start just slowly brainwashing people on Twitter. Mm. 
into thinking what he wants them to think. The same way that, you know, traditional media has slowly brainwashed people or whatever. Like, you know, media, this is the unfortunate thing. The fourth estate doesn't act like a proper fourth estate. It just influences and, and is a political mouthpiece itself. Um, it's it's yeah. been corrupted. But Elon Musk um, could, you know, let's just hypothetically, let's say, uses Twitter to subtly, very subtly and very slowly, so you don't even know what's happening, manipulate everyone into only wanting to buy electric cars and <laughs> having tax setups that suit his business perfectly yeah. and get politicians that are very pro Elon, whatever he wants, elected, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, it could be incredibly dangerous as far as that goes. Mm. So there, there's risks. Um, but with that yep. said, did wasn't there something where like the Hunter Biden laptop thing was real, right? Yeah, yes, and mine. didn't Twitter like remove it and say it wasn't true? And then wasn't there a thing where post-election people were like, had we known about the laptop, we wouldn't have voted Democrats mm. and Republicans would have got in. So if, if that's the case, I don't mm. know if it is, but that's what I heard um, or, or saw arguments of. If that's the case, Twitter manipulated yep. an election. Yep. Like that's insane. Yeah. I mean, and, I think, and, then, and now Musk has that power. I think it was a little bit more complicated as in uh, apparently the FBI was um, uh, on to you know, social media companies saying, um, look, there's an election coming up and there was some, you know, uh, I guess, you know, Russian influence in the previous election. So they said, you know, be be wary. And so um, then it was, what was it? It was like the New York Post or something came out with the laptop story first. Yeah, I think it was and the New York and Post. Then, and then there was the – basically the social media networks were, were um, sort of – I guess overly vigilant, and the question is, were they also politically vigilant? Um, so they blocked the story because they thought that the so so that you know you, you couldn't um, you know send it to other people and it, it you know disappeared off the feeds and all that kind of thing. Um, but there was this kind of thing where the FBI said, you know, just be vigilant about this, and. Um, the social media networks were overly vigilant and blocked real news that could have influenced the election, I guess is, is the way I'd put it. Yeah, people making informed decisions, whether mm-hmm. the decisions are right or their logic's right, they, you know, you, you blocked information to them. Ironically, though, right, I think that Trump, when he was in office, put a law in place that said the Twitters of the world and the YouTubes of the world or whatever are accountable for the content they put out mm. because they should be treated like publishers. Mm. Um, and then obviously there's like if you publish something in a newspaper, there's potential legal repercussions mm. for it being wrong. Mm. And I think Trump pushed for that to be applied to um, the social media type things and, and argued that they're basically editors mm. and they editorialise and therefore they should have the same level of accountability. Mm. And that ironically might be why... Twitter didn't put the Hunter Biden thing mm. because of a law that Trump put in place. <laughs> so imagine that. That'd be a, a cell phone. Um, and that is a thing. Like, you know, if, if you're going to do any blocking of anything, you're, you're immediately an editor. Yeah. It's like, you know, even whenever a photographer takes a photo, they're taking a photo, they're excluding everything outside the photo, they're, they're editorializing. Mm. So it's it's a very challenging situation for any of these tech giants um, to, to do this in a way that's not going to upset people. Mm. Maybe actually, I was um, I was uh, hit up to, to donate to Wikipedia because I used to, but then I was like, they seem like they're politically biased now. So I wrote back and said, um, you know, I used to donate to you guys and used to like you, but it looks like you know you're politically biased, and you know, 
looks like you ruined a good thing and they wrote back and saying you know we have all these editors blah 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 it was like reasonable like things saying we're not politically biased or we're doing our best but i don't know maybe i should donate to them even though they're politically biased maybe it's just impossible and, yeah. and you do like that you're people people being able to look up wikipedia and get some information for how free. long would you donate like every time you go or something or well no like they hit you up every couple of years um because yeah. i don't i caved in once and I think, yeah, say maybe like a year or two ago and then they recently hit me up again. Like, blah, blah, this time ago you donated this much. I was like, oh. Yeah, no, I, I don't know how much I've donated. Well, as much as like life. two bucks or something. Yeah, no, I've given them maybe a hundred or a bit more than a hundred. I don't know. But I like the idea of it. Like if I use it a lot yeah. and then they're like, you know, get some money for you, you know, can we have some money? I'll be like, yeah, I use this. I find yeah. value in it. Yeah. I'll help other people who don't find value, you know, other people who don't have the money to pay or whatever. Mm. So... Seems it seemed like a social good, but then I thought they started to look politically biased. So I don't but, know if they are or not. And like obviously, if you've got a million editors, how are you going to place that? So maybe, maybe the back and forth and push pull evens it out. And they said something that you can actually look at the um, amendments that were made. So yeah, maybe you just need to press the button to look at the amendments, and then you can see the the back and forth. Because there is a little bit of a death spiral in that. Um the most motivated people will do it for free, if you know what I mean, and then you end up with the most politically motivated editors will get in there and look at their little subjects that they are interested in and, and uh, be editing away. Because mm. uh, apparently some uh, some people have gone on to, you know, change their profiles and they can never get them. But like they, they change it, they get changed back straight away by by someone who's, obviously being very vigilant yeah right i remember years and years ago i, I did one on kuma my hometown and did famous people from kuma and inserted me in there as an international socialite and then showed it to friends how i like you know <laughs> got on wikipedia and then all those other things was like you know bruce town bike and all these like dumb things so yeah. did they get mad well like, it got edited out eventually but yeah. i was smart like i put in like um either Rowena or Tora bright who were olympians yeah so like you know i did i did a bit of stuff like mm. legitimate and then just Snuck myself in with some legit people. Yeah, because I remember I added, I, I did something just to, it was some stew, I think, with a band and did some like, you know, crude language or something. And, and I told someone like it was going to be funny. And then they got all angry that I'd like poisoned the well. Yeah, like, ultimately it is poison the well. I, I politically biased it, calling myself an international socialite. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Um, so I think you sent me uh, a picture of the Alibaba chart. Was that you that sent me that? Oh, maybe laughing at um, Warren Buffett, but you said it was Charlie Munger. Charlie Munger, I think, it was was uh, had big chunks of Alibaba. But and looking more at it, like over the past two or three years, from down from like three hundred bucks to like fifty bucks a share or something, um, and then Meta as well. Mm -hmm. So Zuckerberg is uh, gone. Uh, down, yeah, like almost by two thirds or something. And, and apparently, apparently Meta, most, like his wealth is he doesn't own anything else except for Meta shares. Or I mean, that largely his wealth is in that. And uh, but um, apparently, the average buyback price is like two hundred and forty six dollars or something as well. Oh. So like you know, companies buy their own shares, and Warren Buffett's like that's a really good thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, not not in the case of Meta. <clears throat> um, yeah. And I remember Vincinity Centers um, yep. when the um, COVID stuff came out. Yeah, yeah. And 
Well, it's like this company, VCX Vincinity Centers, like, you know, um, shopping retail. Yep. I was looking at them thinking these guys, like, you know, they need to batten down the hatches and, and pay off debt or whatever. I think James is like, oh, they're buying back shares. That's good. And I was like, no, nah, they're going to pay off their debt. And then eventually they did a capital raise when they're, like, they're buying shares back from like $2.50 down to like $1.60. And then they did a capital raise at $1.50 or something. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. So buying shares all the way down, then did a capital raise at the lows. Just like so much shareholder money wasted. So um, yeah, it's um, not share buybacks aren't always a good thing. Maybe mm-hmm. share buybacks when you're debt free, yeah, uh, are better. Um, especially in volatile environments. Um, and yeah, I guess um, if if Zuckerberg only owns Swedish shares and they're doing buybacks, Facebook. and the average oh, price was um, oh yeah, Facebook, and and they're doing buybacks, and the average price is like two forty six or whatever. He's a terrible investor. Mm-hmm. And I made the joke, maybe he needs to go and steal some more ideas off the Winklevoss twins, <laughs> which is a savage burn, <laughs> allegedly. Steal ideas off the week of us. So, I, mean, I haven't seen the stupid movie. Like, do you do, like? Do you know much of these companies in terms of like? Could you ever see them turning around? Like, is are they are they just eating shit? Or are they a good wife? Well, yeah. I mean, who who are those guys? The bloody um, not the, financial advice. The the, the <laughs> club of people who are depressed because value investing isn't working. Um, with the Aussie guy from Queensland. Um, oh, the the value after hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so what's that, his name uh, Carl Carl. What's his name? Carlisle, something like that? Yeah, I don't know. I can't remember his name, but he, he's got a book I'd like to read. He sounds like he's pretty smart or, you know, smart enough to have a book I want to read anyway. Um, but th- some dudes on that were talking about Twitter being good value in like the 180s or something. So, um, but, but I mean, it does. Quite- I, I, I'm enjoying, because mm-hmm. um, I'm an asshole, mm-hmm. I'm enjoying looking at all these value investors and, and they're inv- like, it's kind of like the emperor's clothes are just falling off with some of this stuff. <laughs> like, you know, the, the Alibaba. Um, these value after hours guys, um, you know, I don't know if they said they'd buy whatever. They're talking about it being in value territory, I think, around like 160 or whatever, yeah. um, 180, and, and it's just dropping. So this is a thing. Um, was it you that- with your Mark Twain thing, the, 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 the worst thing in the world is an idea that you truly believe or, you know, that, that concept yeah, so anyway. Something, something, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the value investors get it wrong too. And, um, yeah, that's so- – I, I mean, it's that classic value trap, isn't it, in terms of like you, you keep buying something and then the – the earnings, it's very cheap, but then the earnings drop and then you're like, oh, well, and the share price drops, but you're like, well, I can't sell them now. Look, look how cheap it is. Mm. Which, then- of you, which of you jerks just asked me about my copper shares price? <laughs> <laughs> how dare you? But, um, yeah, so a lot of these things have dropped and is, 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 is Meta, how's it going to go? He's betting their house on, I think, this virtual reality world. I watched a video about that. The, at least the incarnation that I saw looks super shit. I don't know why you'd like – like you, these little like bubble people with no legs, and you float around and stuff. It's not even like I thought it'd be cool. Like you look like you know, fun. Like uh, I don't know if you've played any computer games recently, like the shoot 'em ups, where the people look so lifelike. Like if the world yeah. was like that, maybe. But if it's like some dumbass like Tamagotchi looking thing, like I could. Oh, uh, I, I heard that they got rid of the legs because they were worried about. <laughs> raping is it the <laughs> sexual assault yeah apparently there's like constant gang rapes when they try and put this out live like they're just like massive gang rapings constantly when they ever go live or like How? put into the public why would you program it that you could fucking even do that well imagine like there's three of us and we're AI yeah. right in, in the metaverse and then like there's like okay let's just beat the crap out of Andre so we can just do that in the metaverse no but instead of beating the crap out of you we gang rape you instead <laughs> Sorry about that, but yeah. So, like, you know, they'll they'll have a whole bunch of, like, you know, um, 
avatars, whatever, then like, you know, some hot avatar walks past and then all the avatars just go for it. It's like there's a thing in computer games as well, like people trying to, like sandbox games where you do so world. It's like fucking Digital Lord of the, sorry, I'm swearing a lot. Is this like Digital Lord of the Flies or something? <laughs> I don't think like they just... gangbang each other in Lord of the Flies, <laughs> but um, I hope not. Indeed. Um, but and then there's um, what is it? There's apparently there's something according, according to TV that I saw that in computer games they're always like having to make it such a way where in world building computer games people don't draw like dicks on the computer game. That is a weird compulsion. Uh, like when I was in high school, <laughs> so I, I like uh, I remember we were bushwalking out at the Cascades um, near Cooma or something, and they had these big rocks with like big moss on them and I just and I was walking with a bunch of people that I didn't really know like I um uh with like a close friend of ours but then they had some people with them that I didn't really know I just thought it was funny to draw a massive penis in this in, in the moss I'm like yeah I look around they're just like <laughs> just shaking their head in disbelief I'm like hmm didn't read that room very well <laughs> but yeah apparently that's an issue in computer games so um yeah how, how do you reconcile that with freedom of speech and freedom of movement when, when that's what happens when people are left to their own devices? So, well, that's kind of answered my question. So, so Meta's Metaverse, it's stupid. Well, I think if it's like Ready Player One, you can see a lot of efficiencies. Like, um, you know, people working from home, but also getting social interaction. Like, you know, kind of like how- Isn't that face- what Zoom is? Like- well, yeah, but, you know, it's better and more engaged. Like Facebook was that. It's connecting people- you know, who aren't around each other. Twitter is doing that. Like a lot of these social media things are doing that. Yeah. Uh, the idea of the metaverse is it amps it up and maybe the dodgy animations we're looking at are just there as place fillers, but in five years, it's it's super good. Yeah. Like yeah. my friend Ben has um, a VR headset and I was doing a, a boxing thing in the VR headset mm. and I was engaged enough in it to have a, a sore um, elbow, like, you know, the tendon, because I was yeah. um, overextending my jabs. Yeah. And, and I'm unaware of it. And after I lost my fight, I was like, oh, you know, yeah. that's, um, so it is engaging. Well, my, my, my brother, he, he sent us footage of his, his son at his birthday party. It's just all these kids in a room with, like, VR goggles on doing, like, VR sports, which is a bit, like, it looked funny and I'm sure it was awesome and immersive, but it's like... <laughs> Um, couldn't you just play normal sports? Yeah, but kids are different these days. Yeah. Like even it's like um, was it the Simpsons episode where they they're in the they're playing virtual pool and they start bashing each other with like virtual pool sticks? Yeah. Well, mm. well, when I was in England years and years ago, I lived with this um family and um the 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 kid there was like a couple of years younger than me and he was nerdy playing computer games like yeah. real non-alpha male right but then he's got their headset on and they're doing some mission and these guys like you know alphaing all the other guys it's like you know don't move there like a little bitch you got to do a headshot blah 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 and i'm like you know this is the kind of guy that gets noogied outside of that right <laughs> yeah but in the game full alpha that's what you know people get into that it's like it's what kids are like you know not all kids but you know it's it's the future and all those guys will be washing their cars you know, like all these all these tech people who are billionaires, they're all like nerds at one stage, right? They wrote code and got rich. So, and you know, we serve them their Maccas and clean their cars. and But we still you know. get to noogie him, right? Well, no. Even Biff doesn't noogie McFly. So we're all Biff. <laughs> Apart from what Biff tried to, you know, pull with McFly's woman or whatever. But yeah. Mm. Watch Back to the Future, kids, <laughs> if you haven't seen it. It's got some crazy stuff in it. Um... Anyway, so I think Meta might have legs. Um, yeah. Look, they're trying to build something new and it's yeah. ambitious. Yeah. But why not? Um, big arguments are all these tech companies get to exist 
and raise capital, um, borrow at low rates, all this sort of stuff when money's abundant, right? Um, now money's not abundant, money's expensive and things are cycling from growth to value. Um, value being stocks at a good value and actually return cash and have cash flows. Um, cash is king. So if you're not a company with good cash flows, then you're not king. Yeah. So <clears throat> there's a big run for all these, we're going to take over the world and, and, and good stories and cost of money was low and, yeah. and people willing to buy growth and, and multiples for growth and, and cycling out of growth into value. It's just a consequence. These things will drop. And what yeah. they, they had a big hit from ad revenue or something, right? Didn't, wasn't there a rule change somewhere? Yeah, Apple stopped them being able to do ads on Apple phones or something like that. So Apple was effectively, the, you know, the, had the tap on and off for yeah. a bunch of um, Facebook revenue and, and Apple turned the tap off, I guess. Yeah. Privacy for their own clients. Yeah. So that's the other thing. Like, you know, you talk about moats and all that sort of stuff and you'd think Facebook has this massive moat, like removing TikTok and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Turns out the a major source of revenue that Apple could just turn it off and on yeah. whenever they wanted. So it's but like, I- how good's your moat? But, you know, are people even thinking about those outliers? The more anecdotal research I do, though, um, I think Facebook is like our generation. So, yeah. So Kids just for the listeners apparently. out there, I'm 37. Um, but I think the actual, like, the kids that are around now, it's like they've never had Facebook accounts. They've, uh, it's, TikTok. Uh, TikTok and YouTube, apparently, uh, are the, the, the younger, what the younger ones are doing. Interestingly as well, they seem like things where people do a lot of content creation and TikTok hosts content creation and YouTube hosts con- content creation. Yeah. I don't know how much content creation, say content properly, Andrew. I don't know how much of that is done on Facebook. I don't really use Facebook, but how much actual content creation is done but on in, Facebook? Is it, a, is it a platform? Instagram for, would fill that void a little bit because that's owned by Meta, right? And I, I did hear a thing saying that that's where they should be pushing, you know, their mm. business. Like Insta is like, you know, a massively undertapped resource of theirs. Yeah, yeah. But, but it's, mm. it's, it's a thing when growth companies have earnings that are going up and it's a growth environment, the multiples can go crazy. But once, once their earnings go down, the, you know, I'm willing to pay 40 times earnings because you're constantly growing and if that slows down or doesn't look very good, all of a sudden people are like, well, we're willing to pay 20 times earnings. And if earnings drop, so 40 times like, you know, earnings of a dollar is 40 bucks. And then all of a sudden earnings drop to 80 cents and people are like, we're only willing to pay 20 of that. All of a sudden it's $16 a share. Yeah. So, sorry, James. Yeah, no, no, no. I, th- I think that's that's kind of key that um, the repricing and then I guess the question going forward, what is the sustainable Profit. What are the future earnings? I mean, because it might it might just turn out to be like a, you know, a, MySpace. Well, yeah, could 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 be MySpace, or it could be a tobacco company, um, which would be a, you know, low multiple, but they just you know they do, um, this thing called the metaverse, which is kind of like Teams or, you know, or um, Zoom or whatever, but a modern version of that, and some little bits of social media on the side, and they're just a tool in the background. Um, it, I mean, they don't look like they're going to suddenly, you know, become a growth company again, do they? A, mm. a platform that would allow for a metaverse to be created with open source and the people who wrote the code mm. get some sort of little clip, you know, mm. some little revenue from their code, how much it's used. Um, you think that would dominate any in-house mm. metaverse? 
it's you know it's kind of like the tokenization or you know coins or whatever like you know mm. crypto um if there was some way to do an open source metaverse when people wrote good code and it got used and they got an amount of money that was reasonable for that then you'd have all these people developing it placing it all that sort of stuff um you think that would win against the centralized thing mm. with that said though a lot of um companies aren't doing as well as apple and, and apple's closed source so who knows mm. It's, it's hard to see meta unless it kicks ass being better than some sort of open sourcing that might come in the future. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing with these technologies. Um, they, they take over the world and then people get sick of them and they're gone. And, yeah. and, and they're priced like they're going to carry on forever. The, the other thing is uh, Microsoft's strategy is kind of, you know, if someone else has invented something that is, you know, outside their core, you know, their core software business that they just, you know, create exactly the same thing and give it away for free. Um, so I wonder whether, you know, it's going to be the kind of thing where, you know, people are already using uh, Microsoft and there's Microsoft Meta or, a, you know, an equivalent, you know, um, thing that is, is is basically, I mean, I guess in the end all this stuff is free, but if it's when it's packaged together with a provider a lot of the time people won't go outside that provider. And Microsoft, they own Xbox or something, don't they? I don't know enough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I mean they've they've got the game yeah. making, mm-hmm. which obviously has its own um, mm-hmm. coding and engines and, and good, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. images and all that sort of stuff. But Microsoft like, don't... Not these lame avatars. The majority things. of the world's <clears throat> computers are all like Microsoft and, and based, aren't they? Like the ap- actual Apple, like, Market share is like pretty tiny in terms of computers. Maybe it's 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 one like of those back end like server stuff. Yeah, all... I think it's one of those things. Like <coughs> if you've got Microsoft, it's not worth switching away from Microsoft. Yeah. Like the cost of doing it is so high that you just you know pay them the Microsoft tax because yeah. it's not worth the business interruptions. Um, I find that too. Like I, I subscribe to Microsoft and I barely ever use it. But if I want to mm. like do some coding on an Excel sheet, yeah, I don't have to do that on pages. Yeah, and I'll pay a hundred bucks to yeah. be able to do my coding efficiently rather than spending ten hours to learn how to do on pages. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. The Google Suite's pretty good. Have you used? No. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, maybe trust issues as well. I don't know what's kept private when it's yeah. Google and cloud and all that. Oh, I don't yeah. know. Um, mm. maybe it's private. I'm a bit paranoid. Yeah. But yeah, it's um. So th- these tech companies um. Like ideas come and go um, and, and it really is interesting that some of these uh, are priced like they're going to go on forever and then they don't, like TikTok comes along. So that's um, like, you know, I guess value investing or, or, or trying to think from a value perspective is looking at all the future cash flows. If you've got something that's the dominant player in the market and is based on technology, not like geography, physical geography, um, technology can shift a lot. You can't change mm. physical geography. Mm. Um, so you see something that's dominating the market and it's priced like it's going to dominate the market forever, it's probably overpriced. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, if, you, if there's no uh, risk factor. big because it, And there's clear examples of where things that look like they would dominate the market forever have very quickly not done that. And there was that thing, like, was it in the 80s or 70s or 60s, it was um, the IBMs or whatever. There was, like, some index of all these dominant tech companies. Nifty 50, is that what you mean? Maybe. And then, like, they compared the performance of that to just, like, the rest of the in- index. And the rest of the index, which were the crappy, boring companies that weren't going anywhere, completely outperformed. And 
all the nifty 50 by and large increased their profitability their market share and all those things like they did well mm. as businesses but as shares mm. the price was so high mm. and they didn't actually live up to the price expectations. The businesses did fine, mm. by and large, but they didn't. They didn't do enough to justify the price they were at. Mm. And, and these other businesses, they were priced better, and you know, some some outperformed because people had no expectations. Mm. They they under under promised in some ways and over delivered, as opposed to over promise and under deliver. Mm. Um. So the budget. Do Do you guys have any any thoughts, or have you? Exposed yourself to much of what happened with the budget? I didn't even look at it, to be honest. I did watch it. I, I was. I, I didn't think it was very surprising. There was. There's nothing in there that really kind of. Oh, there was, wasn't a lot that I went. Oh wow, about. But yeah. Did you have? Did you have some specific things that you? Oh, liked, no, not didn't not like? so much. Like it, it's uh, the, the stuff they pointed out. It's like, mm. it's like yeah, sure. Mm. You know, it's it's all getting expensive mm. and. And it was interesting, Andy. You sent me through that that well, it wasn't a pie chart, but some sort of block chart of what made up the CPI and, and housing is a huge part of it. I think that might have been American. Oh, okay. But, but that's that because they they talked about it in this this ABC uh, video that I watched, ABC News Australia video. But uh, that's kind of what led the charge of of the the really high inflation. Um, it was like it's like seven point seven percent or something yeah, or yeah, more yeah. this this quarter. And but, how do you um, manage that? Like, it's not like landlords are just going to drop their rents and yeah. stuff. And- well, I, th- there's an I found an article in the Australian where there's some uh, economists are speculating that RBA is going to lift interest rates again in response, like like soon on Tuesday. Yeah, first, yeah. On Tuesday they're first talking Tuesday about. Of no- oh, Melbourne Cup Day. Yeah, yeah. First Tuesday of November. And oh, first so Tuesday fifty month, basis sorry. points is half a percent, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, and then hundred basis points is one percent. Yep. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then Dutton was reckons it's all rubbish. But he so he's blaming all this stuff on Labor. But like Labor only just got in, right? Mm. Like, how could they? Like, yeah, I I really enjoyed Dutton getting owned by Albo. Um, oh, what happened? There was something where Albo was. Um, being asked about some highway in Yapoon or Yapon or whatever, some places yeah. in Queensland. Yeah. I think um, I've been on that road. And yeah, anyway, there's like these two places that sound very similar in Queensland yeah. and um, Dutton, who's from Queensland, yeah. got the places confused or mixed up or said something wrong about the places. Oh. And Albo gave Dutton a geography lesson. And he's like, you know, and you're from Queensland. <laughs> like, says everything. So like, he, like, Dutton's a Queenslander and doesn't know the stuff as well as Albo, who's not a Queenslander, does. But, yeah. you know, Dutton's supposed to be this <laughs> great leader or whatever. So, yeah, that gotcha yeah. journalism stuff's uh, a bit like with, like, ha, gotcha with like some little tidbit fact. I yeah, think yeah, no, but I think, I, I think Albo's thing was like reasonable and it's parliament. Yeah, you know, it's, you know on the floor yeah. of parliament, they act like children anyway. But it is yeah, funny when they're a pretty like, good burn from Albo, I thought. It is funny when someone like drops a burn and they're like, blah, 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 like. Like like South Park, rabble, rabble, rabble. Oh yeah, for the, for the American audience, because we've got some data and analytics, and we've got a few Americans listening to us. Um, Albo is Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, <laughs> so that's who we're talking about. And Dutton, Peter Dutton, is the leader of the opposition. Um, one, one interesting thing from the budget, um, I thought uh, was in terms of the future deficit projections, um, because normally you get 
okay, we're in deficit, but next year it'll be less and the year after it'll be less and then year after it'll be less and then in four years we'll have a surplus, right? And that happens every budget, right? But the budget, the deficits actually get larger going forward, which is which is kind of interesting and a little bit scary because normally, and it might be just because they're having their first term and they're kind of like, oh, let's look make the future look really bad and then we can show how, how much better we made it. But, um, Under promise and over deliver. Yeah. But um, I, I wonder whether that's a sort of, uh, you know, ageing baby boomers type um, structural thing that has now um, – is now actually getting reflected in the, in the budget, um, you know, in terms of health costs and age pensions and all that kind of stuff. I reckon we made a mistake with um, COVID. Had all these internationals who come here and, you know, the, the deal in Australia is you pay way too much for student fees mm. as a foreign student and then eventually because you, you got ripped off on student fees, you get to become an Australian citizen. That's, you know, that's not like no one says it, but that's kind of like the deal, right? So um, all these people are over here and there's mm. COVID lockdowns. I don't think they can go back home mm. and the Australian government didn't give, give them any money. Mm as far as I know, well, they didn't get the support they needed. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're maybe they're breaking their visa working in cafes, maybe their visa allows them to work in cafes, whatever. But, but I the think, cafe's not open. Yeah, I think yeah. I think a whole bunch of them were just like kind of stranded and screwed and then their family back home had to, you know, pump pump this money to them. And, and they, I think that's been a very bad thing for Australia because for me, I'm a fan of getting really good attitude, skilled migrants mm. And these guys were willing to, you know, jump through the hoops that Australia makes them do. And then we just like kind of like left them out to dry a bit. And I think that's a bad look for Australia. And I think that might be putting off people coming to Australia. And when we have this thing with the boomers all retiring and stuff, that's ideally you want young people replacing them who can, you know, help them in their nursing homes and do all these other things. So I think we're reliant on good quality migrants. Um but yeah, it does I, kind of look that way, doesn't it? As in, in a structural way, we've kind of, you know, if you compare how sort of Australia functioned in, say, you know, 60s, 70s, whatever, um, you know, we'd have a lot of apprenticeships and a lot of training and all this kind of stuff. But it looks like um, we've, we have to some extent gone, um, you know, it's, it's simpler to, to get people from, um, you know, who, as you say, have attended university here and, have, you know, we get to, you know, select the best kind of students that we like at, you know, and then often... And even if they're crap, they paid a whole bunch of money to be here. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we got some money out of them. But, like, you get... It costs money to educate someone to your 12 level, right? So, you get a migrant mm. who maybe got their degree in India and they're doing their master's here. I don't know how good the degrees in India are mm. or whatever, but they got educated to university level. Yeah. India paid for that. We didn't. Yeah. Then we get them yep. for the high bit of their degree, and we keep them. Yep. It's a it's a pretty good deal for yep. Australia. And we get to go. Oh well, you've got this. This you've now acquired this level of of skill. You've shown you. You know, there's no wasted money on, you know, education in primary school and high school and and you know and university and all the costs of raising children and all that kind of stuff. It it is a little bit. It's a bit naughty. Yeah, and and I think Toyota has been pushing hard for Indian migrants. <laughs> 
What do you mean? Because <laughs> they all drive Toyota Camrys. They're geniuses. How dare you? I always used to like look at Indians driving Toyota Camrys. I'm like, why do they always drive Camrys? And I got a Camry and I'm like, these guys are geniuses. I get it. <laughs> I totally get it now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's um, so I think, I think we stuffed up with some of this COVID stuff and we're, yeah. you know, we, is, there, is there a good benefit? I think getting, those, you know, good skilled migrants who are, who are fitting in and adding value to the country. So well, well, with our aging demographic and like the situation you just described, what do you think of this thing with, um, so further, further on in this uh, budget reply from Peter Dutton, um, a re-examination of using super for home purchases. Um, so being able to use fifty grand of super money to buy a house, it looks like it's propping up the propping up the property market. Like we're obsessed with housing, like what, houses, and but in it's Australia. like uh, like robbing Peter to pay Paul sort of thing. Like you, won't you just be more stitched up? I mean, because you can't can't eat your house. Well, the idea was that you have superannuation that's supposed to provide for you in retirement, so yeah. the government doesn't have to. Yeah. So yeah, you take money out. That doesn't compound and grow. Fifty thousand dollars. Say a thirty-year-old did that. Yeah. Maybe by the time they're sixty, those fifty thousand dollars of investments is you know two hundred fifty grand. Yeah. Um, Instead, they bought a house. Yeah. And or you know put it towards their house, and that's a whole bunch of money they don't can't live off in retirement. Yeah. So yeah, it's um, yeah, you can't eat one of the rooms of your house. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I. I, So like, won't that like like uh, that'll like worsen things for the economy, right? Because it will push house prices up. Push house prices up. It seems like government policies always want to push house prices up. This is the opposition, obviously, but like, you know, when when, there's always some sort of incentive to buy houses that's, you know, the government's pushing for. Yeah. Like, I don't know, we must be so reliant on housing if the government's constantly giving incentives for it. Yeah. You know, the first homeowner's grant and all these these things. And what is it? Like, some people say it's just a good exit strategy for the boomers. Yeah, Yeah, huge chunks of money. Like- um, the the first homeowner's grant before that, say your house is three fifty, yeah, and then you get fifteen thousand dollars from the government. The price of the house goes to at least three sixty five, yeah. So it's just it's just an exit strategy for the yeah. seller that's government funded. Yeah, I think Mum got given like twenty five k for like uh, for buying the house. Maybe there's some downsizer thing, or yeah. I don't know. But it was, it was some pandemic. Offer, I think that that um, if you bought a house and then uh, you get the some some yeah twenty five thousand dollar bonus there. But James, we were just talking about um, uh, one of the things Peter Dutton was talking about mm-hmm. in his reply there, um, letting people dip into their super for for houses, and I think it's I think it's a bit dumb. Yeah, I mean. My view on the Australian housing market is that we are the, the issues are to do with we, we always stimulate demand instead of stimulating supply, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so we end up not solving the problem. Yeah. Because we just end up pushing prices up higher. Yeah. And there's no I think part of the problem is that we don't have a I guess we've we've got a sort of a restricted uh, a very restricted um, or regulated um, supply, and we've kind of deregulated the things like finance. So, so it's kind of like you can borrow as much money as the market will give you, mm. but the market won't give you houses. Yeah, if that makes sense. It seems like it's yeah local policy, like you know local government policy mm. around developments and stuff. Mm. Um, 
maybe they need to be tidied up. I mean, we've got so much land, yeah. yet oh. for some reason, you know, land's That's really expensive. absurd. It's it absolutely absurd that, that um, land for housing in Australia would be expensive. Um, and, I mean, in my view, they've got to either have a market system where, you know, you're able to, when the price goes up, builders can su- supply the, you know, the the additional houses, which means not overly regulating this, you know, not restricting the supply, or alternatively, they've just got to regulate both sides of that equation in terms of the finance stuff, and the government's got to step in and build a whole lot of public housing, and you know, you got to go like socialist on it. I mean, it's probably probably better if we did the first option, but if you are going to regulate the supply, then you've got to regulate the, um, you know the financial side of things and you can't just sit there and stimulate demand and not allow the market to supply that demand. Well, and and with stamp duty, a house gets sold and the state gets a whole bunch of money from stamp duty. So, like, there's incentives for state governments to have high house prices because they get more money for it. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, and uh, just... Out on, on that, have you noticed, um, I don't know if you looked at the Canberra unimproved land values, which is where the where things like the rates and land tax and stuff um, are applied, but they've moved up quite substantially. I think there's like an average number of years. But obviously the, the what I'm saying is that the there is, a, yeah, exactly as you've said, there's a government incentive in terms of tax to say, oh, look, you've got expensive housing, uh, you know, it's a bigger, either with stamp duty, it's a bigger transaction tax that we can charge or, you know, land tax or rates or whatever. It's based on the unimproved land value. Um, you know, we get more money if the price of the, the you know, the house is high. The price of the land is high. So, mm. yeah, there is kind of this, like, you know, incentive for governments to keep the supply tight and to um, and it's also obviously a popular thing for people to get in and kind of close the door. Um, so, but, but it, is, it is a problem. Like they've got to either um, sort of go, okay, well, this is something that we're going to heavily regulate, and then you've got to heavily regulate both sides of the equation. You've got to, you know, regulate the supply and and you know have a whole lot of public housing and this kind of stuff. Or you've got to go, okay, well, we've got a free market. So we've got a free market in finance. So people will borrow whatever they are able to get from the bank on a profitable measure. Um, and we'll let the market supply that demand. But but we're having this combination where, you know, you can borrow as much as you want, as you, you know, the market will allow you, but then restricting the supply is just like <laughs> disaster. It'd be interesting to see how many square metres of housing there are and then how many people there are so how much housing how many square meters per person um and compare that to other countries we might find we have a decent amount of square meters per person um it might, it might be the case there are lots of people like my grandma before she died where she is all alone in a three or four bedroom house but again shifting houses there's no incentive because you got the transaction costs and you buy a new place, you've got to pay stamp duty. Um, the pension systems, yep. they don't count your house as an asset. Yep. So 
there's there's a lot of things that like maybe maybe we have enough square meters and it's just not being used very well. Oh, because, I don't, I don't because think because of the disincentives to to switch in and out of housing. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt we've got enough bedrooms for people in Australia. There's no there's no you know it's just that you know uh, getting people into appropriate housing and getting the incentives in place and obviously there is a lot about you know people like to live in the family home and you know if they had two or three kids and you know, they might have had a, a three or four bedroom house. Um, but, you know, wh- how do you set things up so you encourage people to downsize without, you know, without kind of forcing them to? Mm. I'd, I'd like to see a, a pretty large population in Australia and we're not going to do that organically. Like we're not going to reproduce within Australia to get that, which means for my thing I'd like to see we'd need lots of migrants and yeah I think I think the housing issue again like you know let's say we had like 70 80 million people in Australia we do pretty well at the Olympics for starters <laughs> but um yeah I think you know you could have a lot of industries in Australia like we we, we can't do a lot of stuff here because our population doesn't warrant you know manufacturing and various industries but with a, with a population of you know 70 to 100 million a lot of these things become feasible like the um been this you know mooted thing about a railway from melbourne to brisbane for donkey's years and it, it doesn't get over the line but maybe with a bigger population that does get over the line whether it's a good thing or not i guess that's important it has to actually make sense but i feel like we could have a and also just for like defense like you know national security yeah. 70 million people developing military technology and all that sort of stuff it makes us a lot more secure I mean, as well. So you could argue the opposite way and go and go. Um, you know, we're a large exporter of food. We're a large exporter of raw materials. If you have to, you know, bring more people in, doesn't get you any more of those um, commodities. Um, you know, are you better off? Um, not. You know, you've. I agree. You know, you have to have enough people to defend the country and run up. You know, have economies of scale with the size of the economy, but to you know, how big a population do you need to have in order to do that? I don't know. But I, I, in my mind, I, I'd like a bigger population and more more stuff within the economy. Like, you know, we, we have so much sun and CSIRO, CSIRO seems to come up with good ideas. I feel like we really missed out with solar and, and some of these renewable energies. Um, we have the resources potentially to make all the stuff, right? And, and to develop the technologies, but a lot, a lot of the brain seems to go overseas. I remember my, my sister saying when she was working in the engineering department at the ANU in the, I guess, late 90s or early 2000s or whatever, that at that point in time, ANU was like the world leader in solar cells. They could make like the thinnest cells and the most photovoltaically e- efficient or whatever. Um, but then the government funding just kept getting rolled back. For it, and then it just crippled the program, and then it, they, they ended up just the people just ended up going overseas. Apparently, all that expertise. Yeah, we, we lose good brains. Mm. Yeah, and I, I've heard that there's quite a lot of Australian inventions that are commercialised overseas. Is that just because you reckon just small population, or or just? I mean, I, I mean, if you got a really good idea, I guess, and you want to launch it anyway, you launch it in America, right? Because yeah. economy. Yeah, because you just go where the money is, right? That's sort of yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, what else did I have? Uh, oh, just more on superannuation. You sent me this uh, 
this uh, video likening uh, superannuation to the off- being the offspring of communism, Marxism, and fascism. What was the senator's name who said this? That that was the that was the most ridiculous thing. Is um, it's a good rant? Let's see if I can find his name. Uh, it it's it will be here soon. Uh, you uh, play uh, for a bit. He's got a sorry. he's got a good Aussie voice, Gerard doesn't he? This Senator guy. Gerard or Gerard Rennick, uh, acting deputy president. And what would you call the offspring of communism, Marxism, and fascism? And of course, the answer to that is superannuation. First of all, it's communism because in 1992, do you guys mind if we watch? Play, keep no, watching it. It's good. Yeah. Paul Keating introduced superannuation that takes the workers' wages. Didn't give them a choice, didn't give them a choice, started it off at 2% and said, we're going to give it to someone you've never met and there's no guarantee you're going to get it back when you're 60. Now, just like the vaccine mandates, that money was taken from them. And do you think if Paul Keating had taken that question to an election, it would have got up? Absolutely not. Do you think if Paul, Paul Keating had said in 1992 that by 2025 you're going to have 12% of your wages taken out of the workers' wages, the workers, mind mind you, who built this country. This country was built by the battlers. It wasn't built by the blowhards who were sucking the $30 billion of fees out of superannuation every year. It was built by the battlers, acting uh, uh, deputy chair. I was just about to throw the madam in there, but I apologise for that. Okay. And I I will still argue that it is a breach of the Constitution. You are taking away their property rights without any guarantee that they will get that capital returned to them when they are 60, uh, discounted for present value. Right? Communism. Marxism. What have we got now is we've got industry super funds and we've got BlackRock and Vanguard on the private sector. And I'm not doing this from some ideological left versus right platform here. I'm doing this from the big guy versus the little guy. Okay, the little guys who get up every day, get out of bed, put their nose to the grindstone, they get the lowest wages in this country. Isn't he describing Marxism? Like workers of the world unite sort of thing? Oh, like the little guy? He's like doing hello pot meat kettle. Like, oh, um, I, I know. It's, 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 it's a good rhetoric. Quite yeah. interesting. Can we, can we keep it's, watching it? It's interesting know? him going on about the little guy and all this sort of stuff because his political party is um, the party that's associated with the big rich end of town constantly. What, so. what party is he? He's a liberal, liberal national oh. or something like that, but it's like liberals and nationals merged in Queensland or something. I don't know. Yeah. Tipping off 12% of their income to give it to someone they've never met so they can gouge $30 billion in fees every year. And then what you've done is you've taken that money it's unelected money. There's no control over how it's spent. The superannuation boards are not elected by the members. So that, that just undermines all the powers of the, of, the, of, of the individual and how their money is spent. And then the superannuation funds appoint their own directors to, point their, to appoint their own ideological agendas. So when Senator McAllister says it's an ideological battle, you, 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 you're straight. You, can you say D-A-N-N or not? But yeah, I'll, I'll, I won't say. You're straight that it is. You're very correct it is because the, the, the superannuation boards are using this for an ideological, to push their ideological boards. And last of all, and this is, t- you know, this is also fascism, because we've now got corporations that are that large and these superannuation funds have hundreds of billions of dollars under management. They are now telling governments what to do. So just to clarify, so fascism is like centralised control of 
economics and stuff? I think fascism is corporations do what the government tells them, not what he said. Corporations so, are subservient so to the state. There's a definition which is along the lines of uh, merging between um, the state and, um, uh, you know, and private sector, um, you know, for, in the national. So it's like controlled yeah. capital, capitalism in quotation marks. I think that's thing. a decent yeah. way of saying it, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not going to argue with this guy about definitions of Marxism yeah. and communism and fascism. I was just trying to clarify for D- myself. Damn is spelled D-A-M-N. And it was even in the subtitles. He tried to cover up through the subtitles. Um, yeah, it's like it's spelled correctly in the subtitles. But yeah, I was like going on about me being like, um, oh, sorry, play this more. Sorry. They are that rich and powerful. Some of the money in these superannuation funds across the world are bigger than countries' economies. The power of this con- uh, centralised wealth is becoming a threat to democracy because the people running these things, like Larry Fink from BlackRock, who holds that bloke accountable? Who, are hol- who holds the superannuation funds accountable when they decide they want to spend money on something? No one. You do not even get to appoint the board members. And can I say, and I'm, I'm glad Senator Pocock raised this, the Product Commi- Productivity Commission found that $30 billion in fees are ripped out of superannuation every year. And for what? Nothing but paper shuffling. You want to know why we've got a a shortage of workers in this country? Because we've got too many blowhards in this country pushing pens and shuffling paper when they should be out there actually building infrastructure, producing goods and services, rather than buying and selling um, shares on the stock market all day that produces nothing. It produces nothing. Okay? This, this. He's got a really well cut suit, I think. Yeah. That guy. <laughs> he looks like he runs or something. Um, what's a blowhard? For real? I don't know. Well, I guess a lot of, you know, you're talking and all this. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. wind's coming out of your all mouth. Right. And oh. Maybe not much substance? I don't know. What's, what's your one for that? I thought it was a derogatory term for a. For for uh do we need to go offline while it's in it? the senate so it can't be too bad surely yeah maybe not maybe i'll just well let's look up urban dictionary this <laughs> urban dictionary well, well, i think this guy makes a point that um you know a lot of people have money in super that just gets whittled away by fees and turns to zero like that's happened to me with money in super when i was a kid i was working in cafes or whatever um, compulsory super gets put in some super fund has gone to zero. Well, you know, e- everyone probably has had that if they worked when they were young, um, unless they stayed in the job, that their fees just got eaten away. Um, and yeah, that's how's that helping me for my retirement? So I, th- I think they've they have cha- made some changes to, um, fee- like I think they've got a three percent. Um, once you've got a balance under, I've forgotten the amount, but you know. Uh, Five thousand dollars or whatever, then the fees are capped at three percent, something something along those lines. So that the problem was that you have a fixed fee of, you know, a hundred bucks a year. Yeah, and someone would have an account with a thousand dollars in it. And it's like, well, you're not gonna, you're not gonna get ten percent per annum. I so, mean, during during the GFC, my because uh, I had such a small amount in my my host plus account, plus the fees it was minus like 1800 bucks for a whole while. I was like, because I remember I got the statement, what the hell's even the point of this account? And then, and, and, uh, there, there and so super many- insurance as well. Obviously if there's insurance policies, then your, your balance will go down if there's an insurance policy that's yeah. taking premium. Well, they have insurance policies just built into them before you, when you even sign yeah. up, you've got to like, if you don't want them through that, you got to go in and cancel them, but they don't really tell you. Like, 
Yeah, and, and so many funds have such high fees too. Like you get funds with two percent fees still. Mm. This is this is, uh, is. Can I do this as advice to say go check your super fund and see what your fees are? Um, and and what's like um, an industry fund? Um, Aussie Super. What are their fees? Oh, look. So we, we we're not giving any advice on anything. We're just talking. I'm about saying it. check your fees. Yeah, yeah, yes, check your fees. You, that, that's but that's a factual. Yeah, so yeah, I could say yeah, that. Check your yeah, fees. Yeah. Um, I'm not recommending any super funds, yeah. but Aussie Super is what like so, less so than one percent. Yeah, yeah. The rest so, is less than one percent. Host Plus is less than one percent. Yeah, yep. There are lots of funds out there less than one percent. So if you're looking at your super fund, um, and your fees are you know something that you're looking at and go oh, that looks high, maybe maybe do a bit of research into different super funds and all that sort of stuff. But a lot of people have funds that they have had for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew a bloke. I mean, off we work in finance, um, mm. financial advice. But you know, my brother's mate. I think he was paying three percent. Mm. Yeah, yeah, he's he's like retiring, and then looks and goes, "Oh, I've been paying three percent." Yeah, yeah, the whole time. And, and if you put that into a compound interest calculator, you'd be horrified. Yeah, if, if that had been happening for thirty or forty years or something. Yeah, no one, no one really checks their fees. But yeah, check check your fees in your super. <laughs> and if you ever yeah. if you're going to roll out of super because you don't like your fees. If your superannuation has insurance in it and you roll into a new fund, your insurance disappears. You need to ask the new fund to receive your insurance. Like if you've got a million dollars of life insurance, you need to say to the new fund, I have a million dollars of life insurance in my current fund. Will you accept that million dollars worth of insurance? Yeah. Um, if you roll out of the funds without rolling the insurance, you lose the insurance. Yes. And some people might have health problems where the insurance makes a lot of sense for them. Um, and and might not want to lose that insurance. So don't just roll out because you don't like the fees. Make sure the new fund will accept your insurance. Speak to the new fund about that if you want the insurance so you don't just make your insurance disappear. Mm-hmm. Like imagine someone who is um, like got something where they're going to go blind. Like it's like, you know, it's just going to happen. Like, you know, how people yeah. have that. What's it called? Macular degeneration. Yeah, you've got macular degeneration, right? You've got three funds at the moment. Each of those funds has a $400,000 payout for total and permanent mm-hmm. disablement. You go blind, that's total and permanent disablement. So those funds have, did I say three funds at 400000 you got $1.2 million in insurance that you're definitely going to get. Imagine if that person looked at all their fees and were like, oh, these fees are high. I'm going to roll it into you know another fund that's low and they don't take their insurance because they didn't know about it. So then they go into the new fund and it gives them a default $250,000 total and permanent disablement insurance. They've just screwed themselves out of Million, million plus dollars of insurance they're definitely going to get. Yeah, so, and then they wouldn't be able to apply for new insurance because they'd have to go through underwriting. Yeah, so you go to the new fund and you're like, oh, I want my insurance to be $1.2 million again, and the new fund will be like, well, either you have to answer underwriting questions, we're going to ask you a lot of questions. Oh, it turns out you got degenerative macular thing. Well, we're not going to insure you for blindness. And it's like, oh. Well, I'm screwed now. Or, or possibly they're like, oh, we'll let you do up to like, you know, a little top up with our underwriting questions. Um, and maybe you have to do that within the first 30 days of joining the fund or something like yeah. that. But if, you, if you're moving funds and screwing around with changing funds and all that sort of stuff, think about the insurance consequences as well. Don't just look at the fees. Like really look at the insurance you have and make sure you're crystal clear on how to move insurance from one fund to the other. Because it would be terrible if you rolled and then lost insurance that you needed um, because you thought it's a good idea to change funds. Like, yeah, be super air, like super clear 
um, on how to bring your insurance over if you're going to need to do that. So it'd be awful if someone listened to this and then consolidated their super into one fund, lost their insurance and then had some insurance event and just like screw themselves completely. Yeah, I mean, look, there's a lot of complex issues. One just sort of in defense of superannuation and legislation and and funds and all that stuff. Um, We, you know, whenever it was five years ago, we introduced um, my super fund. So anyone who's got a default fund from their employer has to go – their, their contributions have to go into a my super option, and part of the my super option is it has to be a basic, you know, non commission paying, you know, but, but you know, like a low fee type um, investment option. Um, the other thing is that they uh, there's legislation around low balances and um, cancelling insurance, which can be good or bad. So if you've got a low balance fund and it's not active, so there's no contributions or anything going, then the fund has to basically write to you and tell you they're going to cancel the insurance. Um, so, you know, obviously that can have be good or bad. Um, you'd think that it, for most people it would be good and then for a small number of people who actually needed the insurance it would be very bad. Yeah. Um, so there are some sort of complications around around that, but there, there's a number of things that have been put in place to, I guess, you know, make sure that low fee options are, you know, are, are in place. But there are sort of consequences to that. Another another issue with having, you know, automatic low fee options is that um, they they've got a um, this is sort of a side issue of that, but they've got a performance. Benchmark, and they're yeah. they're trying to get the government's trying to get funds that can't that you know are the bottom percentile of yeah um, of performing funds to actually close their options. Yeah, because uh, some of them are really bad. There was like um, uh, who was it? It was I don't know if we're in, mm. allowed to mention specific mm. product names, but like BT and Asgard mm. that were like giving like three percent returns and mm. stuff like that, which is like. Like really bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and it is it is kind of uh, you know if you've got, you got it's a problem if there are sort of funds that can get out and I guess you know sell themselves to employers and employers yeah. put their staff in there and yeah. they're not performing particularly well or they're yeah. charging higher fees. Um, there, there there is sort of this issue that if you keep on getting rid of um, low performing or poorly performing funds, sometimes there's a reason that. A fund is performing for poorly, yeah, and it might not necessarily mean that they're doing a bad job, yeah. For for instance, you know, you can quite have, often have some sort of market boom, yeah, and you know, you might have fund managers who are like, "We're not going to participate in this because this is crazy," yeah, and they're going to underperform, yeah. Um, so there are issues with that. I think, generally speaking, though, you know, my super options, are, you know, automatic employer. Contributions going to my super, which is a you know has to be a low cost option, mm. and you know uh, knocking out the poorer performing funds, and also minimum balance for in inactive funds, you know cancelling insurance. I think generally speaking, they're good ideas, but there are going to be people who are worse off as a result. Yeah, but it's not like if I joined a fund twenty years ago that mm. my money is now going into something other than my fund from twenty years ago, yeah. unless. You know, maybe if I get a new job or something and I don't nominate my old fund. Mm. But if, if, yeah, like... 
So do you know if this um this uh, this video that we've been watching, Mister Rennick, do, do, do you know if he proposes a solution? Like, I I, I don't think in this video he does. But, but he he does talk about stuff like he sounds like a, a sort of a little bit of a sort of economic nationalist because he talks about um the money um going into superannuation funds then getting invested into. Um, already existing infrastructure, as opposed to say nation building stuff, oh, where, sure, sure. where um, you know they they you know they say so the superannuation funds buy existing infrastructure assets, but he's questioning why wouldn't they, um, why wouldn't you know funds from superannuation be used to build new infrastructure mm. uh, for Australia when we're you know desperately in need of new infrastructure? Yeah, James and I, uh, when, when James is nerding out on that product, you mentioned like a week ago or whatever, I said to James, I think it'd be a good idea if there was some sort of defined benefit you could do with the government where you give the government an amount of money and then they use that for infrastructure that's needed and then you get a lifetime pension effectively from the government based on how much you've contributed. So it's like like buying an annuity but from the government, there's government guaranteed and you get the annuity paid for from, I guess, the returns on investment that the infrastructure that they've built Because you, you were talking about something like um, the Future Fund, which is, you know, uh, basically a, uh, a fund that was set up with government surpluses in the, uh, you know, 2000s from the resources boom um, to fund public service pensions. But Andy was talking about, well, why couldn't that be extended and the mandate of the fund... Uh, you know, extended as well, so that people in the in the private sector could go. Okay, well, we'll get into this government, I guess, government fund, and then the funds used for that be used for nation building infrastructure, um, and it would be sort of voluntarily. You know, people could decide to join it, but it would also be you could also run a government guarantee over it, so because the government wouldn't have to be issuing new debt um, to pay for a whole lot of infrastructure, they could be actually taking in equity. Yeah, and, and you wouldn't be on the cosy gravy train that the old government yeah, funds yeah. look like. Like you don't just jump in and get that. In, in my scenario, it's more that, yeah, you're 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 lending and helping the government mm. invest, and then you get a return mm. on that that's guaranteed. Because that's that's a big thing. You know, people worried about their superannuation just disappearing. Mm. That, that's a big concern. Mm. Um, on back onto the transferring super funds with um, insurance, just a bit of a background. So there's often uh, an amount of insurance that you get by default when you join a super annuation fund. And then if someone wants more insurance inside superannuation, outside of superannuation, the, the other extreme is you go through underwriting where you have to answer lots of questions about your health. And then based on that, an insurer will give you a rate of insurance and in some cases have extra charges based on health conditions you have or exclusions like you won't be covered for this. So yep. like my wife, for example, hurt her finger doing jujitsu and it was like a little bit sore for a couple of days and she was applying for increased insurance in her superannuation and it's like, have you got any injuries? And she's like, yeah, sore finger. And then they gave her an increased policy with an exclusion on that finger. Yeah, I've got the same thing. Anything to do with my shoulder and left arm uh, from from I, I pinched jujitsu as well. Pin, pinched a nerve in my neck, and um, could, but, <clears throat> and to be honest, I thought about not telling them. Like, cause how would they know? 
but then I guess if it, 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 there'd be some sort of paper trail, they'd be like, wait a minute. Like, yeah, well, like your conscience, so, your conscience so and good character. J- just on that, there's, there's two things. One is um, fraud, which it has a unlimited statute of limitations. So yeah. if you sort of, I guess, like deliberately lie to them or they can demonstrate yeah. that you've, they've deliber- you've deliberately lied to them, Yeah. Um, then they can at, a, at any stage in the future deny a claim. Yeah. And there's also a non-disclosure clause as well, which basically is, you know, say, say you forgot about something that, that happened to you th- three or four years ago yeah, and you forgot, yeah. it asked the question, yeah. but it was something that a reasonable yeah. person wouldn't have yeah. remembered or just disclosed yeah. or whatever. Um, basically, they can not pay the claim if something happens in the next three years, but after that, then that non-disclosure period sort of ends. So you will actually end up being you would actually end up being covered for the thing that you forgot to disclose, you know, if it was something reasonable. That, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. It's so, kind of like it's not your fault the insurance policy didn't ask better questions to elicit that yeah, information yeah. from but, you. Yeah. So yeah. it's not the same as – it's not like you lied. It's just their questions weren't good enough to get the information needed. That's not exactly how it worked, but it's like you're not going to be punished for that and it's kind of like the insurer itself – should have taken better steps to make sure they had the information. Yeah. You know, I mean, they, could have, could, they could have had a health check paid, you know, by a doctor yeah. or something. They, they had options. They didn't take them. Because for me, yeah. it was like a, a retrospective uh, uh, thought, like, because they asked and I was like, oh, yeah, this I had this happen. And then afterwards, I was like, well, there's, there's a lot because what like my hand spasms and it's yep. quite weak, my, my left hand. And uh, I was like, man, heaps of stuff could come from that. You know, I could crash my bike, I could drop something or whatever. And... You know, that's like heaps of flow-on injuries. It's like maybe I should have just not told them or something. Well, then- could Andre join five super funds and get the default insurance option without any underwriting and then... Are we planning fraud? And then merge them into one super fund. So like, let's say he's got like, you know, $400,000 per fund um, and he it's default. Insurance. So then he finds one fund. He's like, "Look, I want to roll all my insurances in. Will you accept these insurances? What's the process?" The fund says, "We'll accept all those insurances." So you roll in four times, five times four hundred thousand dollars, two million dollars into the new fund. Um, and then once the new funds accepted those insurances, they give you proof they've accepted the insurances. Then you're like, "Okay, I can close." these other funds now because the new funds accepted the insurances and I didn't have to do any underwriting. Can you do that? So so Andre could go out and get a job at Macca's and he could get a job at KFC and he could get a job Who at- trying to say? As a chef, you'd be so good. <laughs> at whatever, whatever, you know, places that you could reasonably easily get a job. Oh, yeah. And they will have to set you up with a super fund and with a super fund you'll probably get default uh, insurance. Um, but- um, yeah, so so it's that's possible. Um, they also do have pre-existing condition clauses and things like that. So I've I what for uh, for default insurance? Yeah, they they can have pre-existing condition clauses. It's sort of like it, but I'm not sure of the you know the extent of of those. But it would be probably more like you know that you've been diagnosed with cancer in the, in the last six months sort of thing. That's funny you say that because um, my, my wife has a, a friend and one of their family members, young guy with a by family. The, by the way, that's something that no one has said ever. It's funny that you said that thing about 
Mm. Having cancer. All oh, right, yeah, but it's um the so this guy, young guy, family, whatever, diagnosed with cancer, potentially terminal, and I was like, I wonder if that guy could join like any super fund, like just do any job he can get to join super funds, and then have millions of dollars of life insurance for default cover because he's got cancer and it's terminal, right? And that way he can set his family up. So you know he works at KFC, works at Super Cheap Auto, just whatever jobs that you know. You can walk into with different funds. Mm. Poor, poor guy ends up dying, but then his family has all this. You know, uh, it, it, it's life possible that he would be covered. It's possible. That, Is this that, on the that assumption might. that he doesn't have stuff already? No, he's got cancer. He's terminal. No, 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 no. But he's already been diagnosed. Because well, the, he might have some insurance. Like he might be with one fund and has like three hundred thousand. Yeah. But it's like you know, what if you join ten funds? Yeah. And end up with three million. Because mm. that, that, that looks after his family and his death. Because this guy's young. Mm. But don't they like um, multiple policies cancel each other out? Like you can only it, claim it will one with something like income protection. So yeah. you, you can only be covered up to the policy will say, you know, maybe we'll cover you up to 70% of your income. Yep. Um, but um, if you've got two policies and they're covering you for 100 and, you know, say they're covering you for 60% each, then they'll kind of offset each other. Um, so they, they'll, they won't pay the full amount. But something like, life insurance or mm. total and permanent disability cover. No, they just add up to whatever amount it is. Mm. So the TPD and life don't cancel each other out. I thought there was something around them cancelling each other out for TPD. Well, there, there can be if, um, you know, if you're applying for new cover and then the, you know, the insurer might um, not not cover you because of, oh, sorry, not limit their cover because you've got other cover policies. Um but um, but generally speaking, you know, if you've got five hundred thousand dollars life here and three hundred thousand dollars over there, then you have eight hundred thousand. Whereas income protection doesn't work that way because you can't get more income than their set maximum. Okay, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, anyway, I thought that guy could do that, just join heaps of funds and yeah. and, and and get the default life insurance, and that would help his family out. Um, yeah, so. There you go. Might work, might not. Um, I know when I have joined funds in the past, like in the first month or something, depending on what the fund is, it lets you apply for more cover without underwriting. Yep. So I join and have $200,000 cover, but then apply for the maximum I can get, which might be 600000 Yep. without underwriting. Um, so on average, do you, do you recommend uh, going in and like configuring your insurance off, off, a, off your superannuation? I think you you should be aware that there's insurance in superannuation and and work out what you think's best for you. Um, yeah. But I mean, imagine you're like, oh, this disability insurance is a waste of money. I'm getting rid of it, and then you became disabled. So, well, yeah, I mean, like, but then you might be like, well, I don't need thirty million dollars of disability insurance. You're not going to have that much. Yeah. But, you know. I mean, and there's you know normally say say from a financial planning perspective, you do a needs analysis with the client. Yeah. Um, and there's you know, super funds normally have these kind of calculators online. If you're, you know, if uh, you're in a position where you want to do it yourself, um, uh, you know, obviously, you, you know, you bear more risk if you're trying to work out your own thing. But it'd be, you know, it'll be things like, well, how much debt have you got? They'll ask you questions. Yeah. These things, you know, um, how much debt have you got? You know, do you want? How much do you want to spend on your 
kids' education and, you know, how much, uh, you know, what are your assets currently and they'll offset them against, you know, the insurance that you need, yep. you know, what's your income, all these kind of questions. And, and so to give you sort of a rough idea of, you know, well, I want, want to live off, you know, this amount of income, uh, you know, I want to be able to be debt-free, I want to um, be able to, um, you know, fund these expenses, uh, you know, whether it's kids' education or whatever the particular things, maybe you want to fund, you know, with disability insurance, fund having a carer for yourself yep. or whatever yep. it is. Or, or, or the attitude that if you're going to be in a wheelchair, you may as well be in a wheelchair looking out at the Sydney Harbour Bridge from your penthouse apartment <laughs> so you have enough to buy that. Because there is this, like, this this thing which is, I think it's, well, it's legal, but it's also somewhat theoretical that you shouldn't be able to improve your position with insurance. Insurance should be to put you back in the same position, but it's kind of like- well, Emotional damages. Like how much of that Alex yeah, yeah, Jones exactly, have to yeah. pay for emotional damages? They're obviously, you know, suffering the trauma of being disabled. Jeez, yeah. that was full on. Like, like would, you, would you swap a penthouse apartment? Like, you know, you can, you can have yeah, a penthouse yeah. apartment looking over Sydney Harbour Bridge. It's With, amazing. In a wheelchair. $10 million dollar apartment, yeah. but you're, you're, you know, quadriplegic. Mm. Or you just stay like you are. It's like, I'll stay like I am. Yeah, 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 much, yeah so. exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, yeah, Indemn- it's supposed to indemnify you, like you suffer no loss, but like, yeah, how do you reconcile emotional loss and quality of life loss and, and then monetary loss? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah and especially with disability because it's like how much uh, – because you could theoretically, you know, you could spend – if you had a disability, you could theoretically spend millions of dollars and and just to keep your life going in a, you know, in a normal way where, you, you know, if, you, if part of your goal was to go on holidays – because you would go on holidays anyway. How much money do you need? Yeah. If you've, if you've, you know, uh, as you say, if you're a quadriplegic to take an overseas holiday, like you might need, you might need millions, and you know, yeah. it, it might be the case that someone as well as single isn't planning on having any relationships and doesn't want to give any money away in death, and they might be like, well, why do I have such a high life insurance policy? Um, you know, I've, I've got no close family or anything like that. I'd like to have lots of money for if I become disabled. Um, if I'm dead, I've got no responsibilities. So who cares about life insurance for me? So you know, people are just weighing up. Yeah, but, I mean, it, it's definitely the case that, you know, there's no um, individual, oh, this is the right amount for, you know, a 30-year-old or, you know, because yeah. it, it totally depends on what you what you want to do, yeah. what you want the outcome to be how much you're prepared to pay for, you know, something that probably won't happen, but if it did, you know, you want to be okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but yeah, if, if you are rolling out of a super fund into a new one and you want to take the insurance with you, um, you need to be really clear about how you do that. You can't just say, I'm rolling my superannuation into a new fund and expect the insurance to carry over normally you get good confirmation from the new fund, like in in writing, that the insurance has rolled into the fund. And once you've got confirmation in writing, something that says it's definitely there, then you'd look at closing the old fund. But you don't close the fund, the old fund, until you're very, very sure that the insurance has rolled into the new fund. So insurance rolls in first. Yep. You get confirmation that it's rolled in not verbal, like actually in writing confirmation yeah. that is rolled in. And then after that, you can then close the old fund. Mm. So it's a step process, but I mean, I, I, I'm not expert on that. I haven't done it for years. Um, so I, I, speak to your super funds about the whole process and make sure you're doing it properly. So going back to Mr. Rennick, do you like, 
in just a superficial sense, superannuation seems like a good idea to me because it's something you don't have to think about uh, unless you're a business owner and you've got to pay it. But um, it's it's money that, money that's ta- is not in your pocket now. Yeah, so later. taken and invested for you, and with you know you know, aside from going and finding a job, you don't have to take responsibility for 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 growing it. You know, but you can grow wealth outside of super. Oh yeah, for sure. But so like, it's kind of like in, but in on average, ways. like for 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 those that aren't that way inclined to have that there for them, I think is a good idea. Uh, I think for those who aren't that way inclined to have it there for them is a good idea. I also question whether it's a good idea for the government to treat the population like children saying you can't save, so we're going to make you do it. Yeah. And and then when they're saying you can't save, so we're going to make you do it, having it where historically, if not now, James is saying it's better now, where historically yep. it's gone into money managers' hands yep. and they've taken a lot in fees. Yeah. You know, you, you, there's a whole industry around superannuation. Um, yeah. Like a lot of financial planning is is finding, um, well, I can't say loopholes, but finding advantageous circumstances for clients using superannuation tax law and stuff. Oh, look, and, and sometimes the government has deliberately set up things in a way so that people can have them pointed out, to, you know, the loophole pointed out to them or the, or the way to save tax pointed out to them. Um, I'm, I don't... One thing actually he, I think that he made, which was um, that the point that um, Senator Jared Rennick made was that a lot of the tax concessions go to high-end uh, people, people who've got, you know, very high incomes and high levels of wealth and that's a that's not very well directed in terms of you, you would think, to me, the way I'd set it up, um, the superannuation system would be to uh, basically look at how much age pension are you knocking yourself out of and have corresponding sort of tax incentives in that way. So the whole system would be set up so that you get a choice. You can either be funded by the government or if you want to fund yourself, we'll help you. But, Doesn't – oh, sorry, go on. Yeah. But I think a lot of the, the tax concessions do actually go to um, – people who would never access the age pension. Doesn't doesn't he say that the amount of tax concessions in superannuation, which people like you and I would have historically advised people to do, the, the, the tax concessions now equal more than the actual pension payments the government makes? Yeah, I think it's almost. It's something like the age pension. I think it was something like 53, what is, billion dollars a year for the age pension and 46 or something for for superannuation tax concessions. And that's insane. There's clearly something wrong. Wait, is that, is that how much money he's being it's how much saved? Rich, yeah, it's how much, not rich people, but rich people have more money, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, like people who use superannuation and there's wealth creation in superannuation yeah. are massively tax subsidised. Yeah. And I don't know how they work out the level of, like the level of subsidy, whether they compare that to someone's marginal tax rate or whatever. Yeah. But the, the concessions... Um, that are afforded to people through using superannuation as a wealth creation vehicle are very close to the amount of money the government pays out in pensions. So the tax the tax dodge, if it's if you're being like, you know, yeah. really cynical and using somewhat incorrect language, but you know, just to get the point across, the tax dodge is almost as much as the government pays in actual pensions to pensioners. 
And that, that seems highly problematic. Yeah. Yeah. But oh. is, is, is that an apples and oranges comparison? Probably not. Just yeah. just to sort of give an example, it's it's quite likely that if you took away the, the subsidies at the higher end mm. of superannuation, um, so, you know, people with lots of assets, um, that they would find other methods to yeah. not to invest without paying tax because I mean yeah. when, when you've got a position when you're in a position where you have enough assets so that you um, don't have to sort of liquefy like you know large portions of your portfolio each year to make your income yeah. requirements you know if you're just living off <clears throat> just the income being produced for instance you've you've got a lot of uh, methods open to you to uh, and structures and stuff like that outside of superannuation where you can reduce your tax anyway. Um, so it's it's quite likely that to, to some extent, you know, if they took those tax concessions away at the top end, that they would – people would just restructure themselves so that yeah. um, they access different types of tax concessions. So but the a, reason they're in the superannuation tax concession is because it's the best available, yes, right? Yes, yes. Which means if you remove the best available, they have to go to the second best yeah. available, which isn't as good as yes. the best available I'd one. agree with that, yeah. Um, yeah, it's like – Imagine you got five million dollars in super, and you don't need that for, you know, living in retirement. Yeah. Um, and and you just keep on investing and growing. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to yeah. I'm going to use superannuation as my investment vehicle. And if if things work out, I have way more than I need. Yeah. For retirement. Yeah. You know, and and I I wouldn't want to take it out because it's such a good tax environment. Um, but that's you know that's not what. It's not not best for the country probably. It's best for me yeah so and oh this other thing in in this um i think he mentions that the kind of people who can get taught how to take advantage of the concessions in superannuation and the tax advantaged treatment are people who can are rich and can afford financial advice so there is a thing like you know poor people typically can't pay financial advice fees and and they need it as much as anybody else maybe more so all the people getting financial advice not all but people getting financial advice and being shown how to save, um, minimise tax and, and have strategies that are you know, tax advantaged, mm. uh, in some ways the wealthier people who need the money the least. Mm. least. So there's, there's, it's, it's like, you know, if, if you have a good lawyer, mm. you can get out of trouble. Yeah, if you don't yeah, have a good yeah. lawyer, then you're in trouble or whatever. It's like it does seem like there's these things in the system where the rich people get advantages because they're rich and it's not like the rich people are being bad scumbags. They're just following the rules but mm. – they're, they're more skewed towards rich people because rich people can afford to get good advice. Yeah, yeah. No, I, mean, I think that's exactly right. You can imagine the medical outcomes if you if you had, um, you know, if wealthy people could afford modern medicine and, you know, poorer people were, were excluded from the system. You know, you'd get, you know, clearly different health outcomes. Um, and I think you do get different, um, you know, financial outcomes because of that. I remember when um, Djokovic was getting booted out of Australia talking to people, I was like, this is outrageous, Djokovic getting booted out of Australia. Like, you know, where, where's, where's the actual risk or whatever? And the government ended up arguing that um, it's because he might give other people ideas that are bad, which is, you know, technically I guess, like, you know, that argument was acceptable because the guy who booted him out is legally allowed to boot him out. But, yeah, it wasn't like saying – they said we're not going to argue that he's an actual, like, biological threat to the community, but him being here might have other people having bad thoughts or whatever. Um he, I just like the fact that his name is Novax. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, but when he when he first was going to get the boot, he appealed legally and and won that appeal. Mm. And I'm speaking to people, and they're like, "Oh, BS." You know, he gets to stay in the country just because he can afford a good lawyer. And I'm like, "Isn't the thing more so that?" It's BS that he needed a good lawyer to get the outcome that was determined to be the correct legal outcome. Like, you know, isn't the real BS thing that not everyone can afford a good lawyer? And doesn't get proper legal representation. Like, sh- shouldn't it shouldn't be about dragging Djokovic down because he can afford a good lawyer and get the correct legal outcome? You should be looking at, well, you know, isn't it t- terrible that people who can't afford good lawyers don't get the correct legal outcome? So, real tall poppy syndrome, Australian thing there. Nicely, yeah. D- d- directing your anger at Djokovic for getting the correct legal outcome because he can afford it, versus being angry at a system that means other people get incorrect legal outcomes because they can't afford it. But anyway, it's a bit like that with this finance stuff mm. as well. Should we finish watching this video? Or if we... you want. I mean, I yeah, mean... up to you, man. It's your show. Nah, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you want to, I think. Uh, sorry? Yeah, yeah, play it, play it more. Let's play it, Sam. This superannuation and, and the guys that rip off $30 billion each year, that is like they make Al Capone uh, look like Mother Teresa. This is the biggest racket going on since the Prohibition in the 1930s, mate. I mean, you, you want to get upset about bikey gangs. I tell you what, these superannuation funds, mate, they're extorting more money out of the workers' pockets every year right, than bikies ever do. And I'll tell you something else. 50 billion. You read the budget papers tonight. It'll be in the tax expenditure statement. There will be $50 billion in tax concessions that mainly for superannuation that mainly go to the upper 20% of income earners. Okay, it goes to the same people in those wealthy suburbs that Labor and our mates with the Teals, right? These guys, you know, if you want to talk about rorts and all the rest of it, what about the tax concessions that go to superannuation? And and, and you know what? What's the pension for? The people who get the pension are the bottom 70% of earners. So the bottom 50% of earners, they get a full pension, and the next 20% get a partial pension, right? They get very little of those tax concessions. The tax concessions for the wealthy now cost more, or just about, they're, they're one or two billion short, now cost more than the cost of the pension. Now, I would rather have a universal pension that was, I would rather have, I would rather have, no, 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 no don't, don't interject, don't interject. This was introduced by Paul Keating. This was introduced by Paul Keating, and it was pumped up all the time. And, and look, we, we shouldn't have pumped it up. And I, and I should acknowledge uh, Senator Richard Alston, who fought very hard against superannuation when it first came in. And we should never oppose it. The Liberal Party coalition have, should have opposed this from the get-go. And I'll say that to my colleague, Senator Cadell, who's listening on here, because it rips out 12 per cent of income from the regions, goes down to the and, and Western Australia and those great magnificent towns in regional Western Australia, Senator Stirl, and it goes to the ivory palaces in Sydney and Melbourne, where they shuffle their paper and they might come in and turn on their screen in the morning and then you know, go and get a coffee and then go and buy a zoot suit for this weekend's triathlon, come back, get a physio. <laughs> uh, you know, th- these guys are not the people producing goods and services in this country and there is way too much money wasted on unproductive activity. And that is why I, I, I totally uh, reject superannuation. But I haven't, I haven't finished there. there. Of that $3.3 trillion, there's over a trillion dollars invested offshore in offshore infrastructure. This country is, is crying out to be building more infrastructure. But you know what superannuation funds do? They don't build infrastructure, right? Because they haven't got the patient capital. 
The only entity that can build long-term infrastructure is actually the government, right? But these guys, what they won't do, but they'll buy infrastructure. And you'll notice how Australian Super went in and bought Sydney Airport last year, and you had the Auditor General running around running a protection racket for Sydney Airport. They didn't want the Western Sydney Airport uh, built, so they came up with this bogus argument that somehow we'd paid uh, too much for the land around Sydney Airport, which wasn't true. It was uh, anyone that knows uh, accounting standard AASB 29, AASB uh, uh, 13 knows that paragraph 29 and 30 says you pay uh, the highest market price regardless of valuation, even though it was actually valued in, uh, uh, zoned in the airport um, uh, as, as an airport uh, zoning. Now I should also add this superannuation robs Peter to pay Paul. Since superannuation has been introduced, the number of people who retire with a mortgage has increased from 10% to 40%. Right? So you've now got people who get to 60 or 65, they retire, they pull their superannuation out as a lump sum, they pay off their home loan, and then they go on the pension. Now I've got a, someone that I knew that I used to work with in Sydney at Westfield who had bought a $3 million house in Seaforth had a million-dollar deposit. He was 55. He was get, waiting to get to 65. He was going to pull out his pension, pay off his mortgage at Seaforth, the other two million, and then go on the pension. Right? So there are ways around this where wealthy people milk the system. But let me say this. If you've got a $500,000 mortgage and $100,000 in superannuation, you are being, you're getting clipped the ticket twice. You're getting fees on your actual superannuation fund and you're getting fees on your mortgage. It is much better to net off your investments uh, rather than get clipped, you know, get shafted twice by financial institutions. The, the thing is, um, the, the fees in your superannuation aren't the same as your mortgage. Like you're paying a mortgage of four and a half percent, the fees in your superannuation are often less than one percent. So, uh, and, and even <clears> from the figures, because he's talking about the superannuation system being three point three trillion, and he's talking about thirty billion dollars a year of fees, which is 0.9%. Okay, I didn't yeah. pick up on that, but there you go. You are the brainy. But that's what guy. I was wondering when he was talking about, it's like, yeah, it's got this much fees, but like, but what's the size of like the growth and the actual money that's in there? Like, And and superannuation funds, there are ones that do invest in infrastructure, so what he said there is incorrect. Um, also, um, you, you're paying off a mortgage of 4% or you're getting investment returns in super at 8%. What's better? So... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's a reasonable case to say um, that you know, uh, home loan interest rates, for instance, yeah, over the long term, are likely to be lower mm. than superannuation returns. So you're effectively gearing. Um, so you could have an argument there with yourself about you know is that good risk management? But if it was the case that that the superannuation returned higher. A high, gave a higher return than the interest rate on your mortgage, um, then you know you might, if you did actually, you know, if you were in a position to not have a mortgage and have a lower superannuation balance, you might be worse off. And and superannuation is obviously much more diversified than your own house. Like imagine you buy a house, that's where all your wealth is, and then James and Andre move next door, and the whole neighbourhood just drops in real estate prices because of the two new neighbours. See how I just had a little burn. <laughs> um, or maybe it's in a floodplain. Like that body count song, There Goes the Neighbourhood. Yeah, or, or, you know, maybe it's in a floodplain or something um, or it's termite infested. So, I mean, like, yeah, having all your eggs in, you know, one asset, your home, that's problematic as well. Yeah, and maybe there's also the behavioural thing, which is, I guess, the way that it's thought 
you know, to be set up that you have a compulsory savings. Um, and if you also have a mortgage, you're still likely to go, most people would go, I want to pay off my mortgage before retirement. Yeah. Um, most people probably wouldn't do what the guy he's talking about in Zeevorth yeah. is doing, which is basically I'll, I, carry, I can carry a higher mortgage because I can just pay it off with my superannuation. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty skitzy houses in Seaforth. I wonder, I wonder if super funds donate to politicians. That'd be interesting. Can they can they do donations to politicians? My uh, I got a communication from uh, on invitation to the annual general meeting for for Host Plus, and uh, there's that was one of the main things they said. That like they they quantified all of their expenses. So the main thing was marketing. It was like twenty four million dollars in marketing or something like that. And they had all the other ones, and it's like political costs and it's like zero we don't we don't donate but they could just say that right i mean it's just interesting because this guy's talking about like the rich end of town right and this guy's from the political party that's associated with the rich end of town and i i wouldn't be surprised to see investment managers and super fund managers having lunches and dinners with politicians from the you know both ends of town but I'm sure I wouldn't be surprised if these guys are rubbing shoulders a lot. Yeah, one of our clients uh, had a, uh, has a fan, uh, one of the fancier restaurants around town and he reckons he gets heaps of lobbyists and politicians and stuff through there. I used to work for a guy and he he was coming in to pay us and I said, that that's some really nice cologne you're wearing. Did your wife buy that for it? He's like, no, a politician bought it for me. <laughs> and I said, why did a politician buy your cologne? He's like, he wants to be my friend. <laughs> and Yeah. There we go. Um, so, uh, just thinking about our discussions of time there, Andy. So, we're at two hours now, and there were some discussions of shorter podcasts. So, I was um, thinking that, well, I think Andre ultimately decides he's the boss, but I was thinking for the audience, the, you know, three people that listen, yep. um, maybe they prefer shorter podcasts. I don't know if there's a way of getting feedback from the audience on what they'd prefer, and I don't know if we should even care what the audience wants. I mean, you get pretty boring after two hours. I know, right? Um, but, yeah, like do we even adjust it because the audience wants it? Um, yeah. Do we care about the audience? <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, like do we? Like this is, um, you know, for me it's answering Andre's questions. That's that's the primary thing. Yeah, yeah. To me it's, it's, it's about Andre. Yeah. Um, and, and if other people listen, good. Um, at the same time, though, like, you know, we've got an audience of like 12 now, so maybe. <laughs> we've got an audience of 135 in the last seven days. There you go. And that's unique devices. Cool. So, I mean, you know, maybe we should start to think about the 135 other people and, and what they'd like. So I, I, I don't know where I'm at with that yet, but um, if people in the audience do want to give feedback on um, episode length... You can reach me via email on the Anchor website. I think my uh, my my email is is there. So, can you say what the email is? Yeah, yeah. It's just Andy dot James dot Andre dot TMS at gmail dot com. Can you spell Matusi? <laughs> <laughs> Andy dot James dot Andre. .tms arroba gmail.com There you go. What's your middle name? That actually, that's probably, they can hack into your 
That's also your password for Gmail. <laughs> don't, don't say it. No, ja- James is my middle name, actually. So, All oh, right. Yeah, yeah. We've got Andy, James, yeah. and Andy there James. Which is quite a common middle name, actually. I've come across a lot of people that have James as their middle name. So. All right. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm happy to keep on going now if you want. Um, and yeah, me too. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll talk forever. I'll, I'll oh, love- cool. Yeah, we need like a, a uh, like a shorts type, you know, the- where we give our like – Key points or something. Yeah, like, man, I forgot to do all the timestamp shit. Oh yeah, oh, um, next episode, next episode. Yeah, we, 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 we will keep talking, but I just like to um, apologise to any Indians <laughs> who got offended by my um, Toyota comment. <laughs> yeah. Yep, even though it's a hundred percent true, it was a little bit <laughs> dicey. There was a few like schwinter clenches at the beginning of the episode when we were talking about uh, mass assault uh, in the metaverse. All oh, right, yeah. I was like, that's pretty full on. I used to so, be a sorry, t- anyone. I used to be a school teacher, and um, there was this kid who's like Finnish background, and I'm like, oh, um, you know, you Finnish background. Does your family have a sauna in the house? And a bunch of other kids were like, oh, that's um a bit racist, sir. Like, you can't just assume because like he's got Finnish heritage, he's gonna have a sauna in their house. And he did. <laughs> and I was like. It's not actually. Why is he sweating in his bread all the time? <laughs> like, it's not actually because every Finn does have a sauna in their house. Yeah. It's just a fact. And they're like, well, you know, you can't just make that assumption. I'm like, you know, whatever Finnish name, Timo, Yari, whatever his name was, you know, do you have a sauna in your house? He's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, he's Finnish. Um, yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. That's it. Um, Before I cut you off. Um, oh. Obviously, we're talking about, yeah, superannuation and that cranky, cranky man, Mr. Rennick. Yeah, look, I mean, they're politicians and they say stuff, but I mean, you know, maybe he's got a point. Um, the the, the rent-seeking in the financial industry, like um, some guy who was it? I think it's that Hunt guy that I like. I can't remember his first name. Was it Ben Hunt, the, the guy I, I like? I think so. Um, he did this article about how the world of finance has worked from day dot effectively and it's like – People either invest in businesses, shareholders, or they lend money. Mm. And that's it. Debt or equity. Yeah, it's it's the entire world of finance. And then you have all these things derived from that. And all these people aren't producing anything. They're just kind of like taking a little clip of the ticket, so to speak. You know, derivatives, investment bankers, all this sort of stuff – um, maybe not investment bakers, but yeah, just like this entire industry is built around just trying to suck a little bit out of the debt and equity game. Isn't that And it's that- a lot of um, unproductive stuff happening there. Like, you know, you and I, um, well, you know, you, not me anymore, <laughs> or maybe me, I don't know, but, um, you know, we, 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 we should be doing, you know, building bridges and stuff. Like, you know, why are we doing the finance stuff? Is that, is that like uh, Warren Buffett? He, he always like- uh, rips on like traders and, and and stuff like that, saying that they're feeding off the what's the expression? F- feeding off the breadcrumbs of capitalism because they're like not actually producing anything, but they're making money off like. I don't the, know what I mean. They could say the same argument about anyone who invests anything. Yeah, I'll I'll put a slightly different argument. I, I agree with say if you're if someone who's just trading stocks, <clears throat> you know, it's hard to make a productive argument about that. What but, about buying and holding? What's that? Buying and holding, like Buffett does. Where's where's his? If, if trading's not productive, how's buying and holding productive? I don't know what, if it was. What, I don't what, know if it was specifically trading, but it was something to that of like of the like the suits that just go around and shuffle papers, like this guy's describing. But but it is it is very helpful to have efficient markets, right? And that mm. you only get efficient markets from people doing you know the research and, and well well 
doing the b- research beforehand to understand things um, and that can help out help sort out where future capital goes. So, for instance, if people discover from their research that someone's got a really good idea and consequently they, you know, buy, you know, whether it's at a, at a sort of a, a – on the, you know, a primary sort of listing or if it's secondary listing on the stock exchange or whatever, um, then – you know that that means you're allocating capital to places where, as long as it's done efficiently, then that's a, if you if you can not waste capital by directing it to the right place, that's actually a very valuable service because you don't want to have people investing things that are investing in things that are um, you know not going to go anywhere. You want to, want the money to be efficiently used. Yeah, like without the stock market. Mm. I could come up to you and go, oh, I've got this idea about like a robotic factory that builds electric cars. I'm going to call it Schmeschler. And you're like, no, nah, man, like your stock market does exist. You're like, there's already one called Tesla that does that. There's no point in funding your one, Andrew. Yeah, I can look so, at your one, but your one might be better. Your one might be a better idea or might be have potentially much better payoff. So I'm prepared to fund it anyway, or I can work out that it's actually a bit useless and, and yeah. not put any, not waste any capital by putting that towards uh, your bad idea. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with that, that saving wastage is, yeah. is good. I, I, so. think, I think it is actually – that is actually very important. Like if you could – like if people never, ever made any mistakes in the stock market or, you know, in investments in general, mm. that would be a massive saving to society. You know, I mean, obviously capitalism has this um, ongoing um, evolutionary path where we try out a whole lot of different ideas and – some of them work and they live on and some of them don't and they die. Um, but imagine if you could, you know, have a system where, you know, you only had – you only, we were able to only fund the good ideas as opposed to, you know, lots of bad ideas gets funded. You know, a society yeah. which is able to efficiently use its capital um, is going to, you know, develop much, much better than a society that wastes capital. So a, a boom and bust cycle is – the symptom of poorly allocated capital. Yeah. Um, in in this utopia of markets, you wouldn't have boom and bust cycles. Well, um, yeah. If you if you if everything was, I mean, obviously this relies on being able to predict the future and all these kind of things. Um, but you know, if and obviously the system we have kind of works it out in a messy way, where you know we try things out and some things work and some things don't work. And that's how you end up with the things that work. In the same way as you have an evolutionary process where, you know, you probably could never predict, you know, what we the kinds of creatures that we'd end up with. It's just that all these complex things happen and, and some species live on and some don't for whatever reasons. Um, and the same thing with, you know, companies and markets and, you know, all that kind of thing. But you need, uh, you need ones to go bust, right? Uh, in in reality, you do, and then the government steps in and stops them going from bust. And <laughs> they they kill the efficiency of the market, don't they? That was one of the um, the ask a one percenter things that kept coming up with Peter Schiff ages ago. It was the Occupy Wall Street, mm. where uh, a dude was like, "Oh yeah," and they're bailing. You know, capitalism mm. sucks because then they bail these people out. He's like, "Well, that's not real capitalism." Mm. And, yeah, but, but, but it, it, you need failure in oh. in capital markets to teach people a lesson. So yeah, it, it is a problem when the government stops 
entities from failing to that extent. And, and it is, I mean, you could argue that, that stuff like uh, manipulating interest rates and things like that, uh, and this is what Peter Schiff would argue, that you should have a market interest rate uh, because otherwise you end up allocating all these resources to companies that should fail. Yeah, it's like um, I saw that a quote from um, someone else around that, um, that if the Federal Reserve really cared about inflation, they would just let the market determine what the interest rate should be and yep. it'll solve the problem basically immediately. Yep. yep. But the Federal Reserve, according to this guy, doesn't care about fighting inflation. They care about mm. their own power and doing whatever they want to do mm. because, yeah, the market would determine the right rate and inflation would stop. Mm. Right, interest rate. Yeah, yeah, and and, and the the it's it's this. I mean, it's almost that that sort of argument about why you you know do exercise. It's like okay, well, that would be a painful thing in the short run, uh, but in the long, you know, if if the market set the interest rate, but in the long run, you know, if, if capital's more efficiently allocated and and wasted less, then you'd be in a much better position. Yeah, it's like if interest rates are ten percent. And the market was determined. Sorry, if if inflation was ten percent and the market was determining the interest rate, it's highly unlikely the market would say we want a rate of interest that is less than ten percent. Yeah, you, and, would, and- you would demand as the market to get something for having your money withheld from you for a period of time, and the risk that's associated with that. You would want more than the inflation rate. You'd want more than ten percent. And if you had that kind of interest rate, then you'd suddenly discover that there's a whole lot of bad debts out there. There's a whole lot of, you know, that are never going to be able to be repaid. Um, there's a whole lot of companies that that their models don't actually function, um, and there'd be a lot of restructuring. And, and the idea is, if the market was determining the interest rate at all times, you probably wouldn't have gotten to a situation where inflation was. Seven, eight, nine, ten percent. Well, in fact, you you kind of you kind of can't because you can't get this kind of borrowing, excess borrowing. Because as soon as you have an imbalance between supply of deposits and um, demand for borrowing, so if you have more borrowing than there is supply of deposits, you know, you know, if you had a completely market based system, the interest rate um, is going to go up, and it's going to knock out the the least affordable, the least you know, the people who are not producing income from their activity um, or enough income to justify the loan. Um, and also it would encourage people to save more. Because mm. it is very strange that we've got a sort of capitalist society, but it's like, but we don't, but the, we have complete government control over the, uh, over the cost of money. <laughs> yeah, free, free markets, except it's completely manipulated. In one of the, you know, some people would say the biggest factor mm. in the free market yeah. is manipulated, which is the cost of money, mm. cost of doing business. Mm. In a credit system, the cost of money is the cost of doing business. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's me for, for this week. How oh. about you guys? You got anything else you want to talk to? You said you had some tweets you wanted yeah, to discuss. Got, got some tweets. This should be a, a thing on the show. Um, my, my tweet um, screenshots that I talk about. So... Google has spent $163 billion in buybacks since quarter four, 2015, and their share count is exactly the same. So you got stock stock buybacks, but then the executives, the people who run the company, give themselves rewards in forms of stock bonuses. Um, And then, yeah, they, they buy back the stock, which then pushes their price up. 
So, you know, this idea that stock buybacks are always good, it's like, well, if you're an executive and you give yourself shares as a bonus, right, mm. um, and then then the company does a share buyback, that just pushes your shares up. Huh. You still own the shares. <laughs> they bought back shares off everyone else, not yeah. you. So you own a bigger chunk of the company. Yeah. Um, you could you could do that for a long time as the executives. Mm. If you don't sell your shares and you do share buybacks, mm. eventually you own all the shares in the company. Yes. Yes. So um yeah, again, you know, there's this idea that share buybacks are the be all and end all. But but it is it is um that is interesting that, you know, because normally you would think if there's been a share buyback with billions and billions of dollars worth of stock being bought back, that the share count would be down and you'd be concentrating up the profits and stuff like that. But obviously that's not what's occurred. Yeah, Marcelo P. Lima said that. And then Ben Hunt responded, this is the Epsilon, at Epsilon Theory, um, said when stock buybacks sterilise newly issued shares, none of the cash is, quotation marks, returned to shareholders. All of the cash goes to the recipients of the newly issued shares, whether they actually sell the shares into the buyback or not, it is, as the kids would say, just math. I didn't need to read that last sentence, as it turns out. Or say that I didn't need to read the last sentence. If I'm thinking about sentence efficiency, I should just stop <laughs> saying sentences at this point. Um, Credit Suisse says sell AMC, predicts it goes to 95 cents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Credit Suisse has had its ass handed to it, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, they're saying AMC is going to go to 95 cents. They aren't able to predict themselves, like their own share yeah. price. Why are they predicting the businesses of others? <laughs> it's like, that's awesome. Who's AMC? Um, that's that's by at master underscore Mont, um, who said that. Um, AMC is like the GameStop. AMC is a cinema group that uh, people bought yeah. um, to, to screw their shorters. Yeah. But it is a very good point. What is Credit Suisse doing about like in the business of price prediction at all mm. if their predictions have made them lose, what, $4 billion this quarter? It's like my, I've got a friend, Jason, mm. and I tell him about my investments and all the stuff I make and he's like, I should have an investment strategy where I just do the opposite of what you've done and I reckon he would have killed it. So um, maybe like you need- Sark. <clears throat> Sark, what's that? Oh, the, it's, it's short arc. All oh, right, yeah, the opposite of arc, or the opposite of Jim Cramer. Um, that's another one. Whatever Jim Cramer says, do the opposite. Yeah. Maybe whatever Credit Suisse says, do the opposite. But yeah, what are they predicting stuff? Jim Cramer, for? he's like the crazy guy. On yeah, CNN he's the one out of cry. Yeah, Bad he, he, money. he yeah. cried apparently. Um, like he's, I saw like a bit of a clip because it was on Twitter, and he's like, "I, oh, I should have done better research. I, I believe the management, and that was my mistake, and I apologize, and all this sort of stuff." It's like, shut up, Jim Cramer. He's doing like the public, public. Apologies. Well, he goes on TV and just talks crap about stocks, right? Yeah. And it's like, you know, just, just talk, talk, talk. He's obviously, based on his apology, talked crap about Meta and, you know, being completely wrong. Yeah. So now he, like, you know, nobly apologizes because he, you know, he should have known better. And oh, he trust- was saying it was a good stock. You should and buy it or something. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking he must have been pumping it. And then he's like, I, I, I trusted management. I had faith in management. And that was my mistake. It's like, no, dude, dog, you have a TV show where you just like say whatever you want and because this one is so extremely bad, you have to do something where you look like you're, quotation marks, taking accountability. It's like, you know, it's just he's, – he's part of the theatre of finance television. Yeah. But, yeah, I guess because it's so embarrassing for him, he had to kind of like own the mistake or whatever. But, but, but Allegedly. 
but but I think I think it's kind of true on a on a sort of a wide scale thing. That, <clears throat> you know, we don't know what we're talking about. You know, people on TV who talk about you know finance stuff, they don't know what they're talking about. You know, any predictions that they make, you know, they're going to be wrong. That's one one thing you could be sure of. Any prediction that we make, any prediction of like some market commentator will make, it's going to be wrong. Yeah. Or you know, it just happens that there's so many market commentators out there making so many predictions that it just happens that one of them was going to absolutely nail it. The thing is, right, like even the, the great investors say you're not going to get 100% of your calls right. You get like, you know, 52% right and you manage your risk properly, you manage your asset allocation properly, you, have a, you do well. That's what um, the, um, in uh, one, of the, one, uh, one of the speeches that the Peter Lynch speeches that always do the rounds, he was saying it doesn't matter – with stocks, if you do pick a good a good one enough, you only have to do one out of like yeah. four or five or six. Like you can have four, like you know, five stinkers and one awesome one, and then you're all good, sort yeah. of thing. Like, but but that that is yeah yeah. Peter Lynch is actually really worth listening to because he kind of just breaks it down into like yeah. really simple, um, sort of conceptual stuff. But mm. I guess on that is yeah, if you do happen to or you 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 are right, and that one is a you know. A tin bagger. It's yeah. like it doesn't matter what everything else did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, maybe Jim Cramer is truly remorseful for getting it wrong, and I've just misread the guy. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe you know, he's 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 like really feels really bad. But I mean, I think I think on this show he goes on and like talks up stocks. Yeah. So I mean, I, I guess this is a thing. Like, if you're going to listen to Jim Cramer, I guess you know that's on you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a bit of both sides, obviously, on that, isn't there? Because it's it's kind of like if you're listening to Jim Cramer for advice, then it's like. What the so hell are you doing? wait, does it like he'll literally say you should go and buy this? I haven't. I think I don't know. I haven't seen the show for ages, but I think or maybe he says I like this stock. Maybe that's yeah, the way yeah, they yeah, do yeah, it I in America. I, I like this. It's undervalued at blah blah blah. Like if if I say Meta's undervalued at. Um, 100 bucks and it should be 500 bucks have i given you investment advice like maybe in australia that's considered investment advice maybe in america it's not i don't know um but i mean yeah it's 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 all part of the theater of of wall street or whatever the the whole industry you've got to get people up there they're like the shaman aren't they you know the 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 man calling the weather in the future or whatever like you know in societies tribal societies um um, you know they're, they're, they're they're what's that word um it's like a a thing that is across cultures or whatever, like um, the hero's journey or whatever. Um, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a thing um, in, in, in Jung or Jung, Jungism archetype. He's okay. an archetype. Okay. Yeah. You know, he's, he's the archetype. He's like the witch doctor or the the weather caller or whatever. Yeah. I mean, and he's got a show where he talks about stocks and that's the show. So it's kind of like it's hard for him to have that show and go – Oh, let me be completely neutral on here's the all, the all the good things about this thing. Here's all the bad things about this thing. But you know, I think a show might be called Mad Money. So maybe yeah. like he's got his disclaimer. I'm like, I said this is madness. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was just trying to look up some pictures. Uh, I was watching the that documentary about the GameStop thing, and then like there was a, some meme where like his he was big. Like they'd put his face on like people's asses and like dogs' asses and stuff like that, but. I couldn't find any pictures. Yeah, so AMC is one like game stock um, where where it was supposed to go bust and got short interest. Um, 
Yeah, it is interesting, Credit Suisse, with all its problems, talking about AMC as opposed to all these other things. But yeah, the reverse um, Jim Cramer thing. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, oh, more, more to the things um, before we wrap up. Um, I know, maybe that was it. Yeah, I think it was just those ones. But yeah, the um, the thing about share buybacks and um, yeah, that's it. I think I'm done. Cool. All right. We'll, uh, we'll uh, reconvene next week. Yeah. Sounds good. Cool. Thank you for your time, gentlemen. Thank you. Yeah, and do do write in, audience, and, and tell us what you think. And um, if you're going to cancel me. <laughs> <laughs> You yeah. still think people are listening at this point in the show? Yeah, I've, and I've, I've, just look, look, I've, how, I've look lost, at how I've lost, our, I've lost Finland and India. I know look that. at how many there's. We've got Lithuania, Switzerland, oh, nice. Portugal, Estonia, South Korea, Luxembourg, Taiwan. Stay strong, fam. Nice Kenya, Indonesia, yeah, Kenya, Jumbo, Vietnam. Jumbo to my Kenyan friends. Yeah. But the the US audience is like starting to take significant market share. Yeah, Illinois. Oh, California number one. Look at that. Mm. There you go. This is really interesting. But, I mean, this... I think it's, I think it's just because Zion, because, like, we just got to... It's yeah. like fucking Beetlejuice to just say Zion, Zion, Zion. Yeah. They'll, they'll come. <laughs> Maybe we'll get him on the show. You could just, you know... Well, it seems like he... Like, there's a lot of... Because when you try and look... He doesn't actually have his own podcast, but you search his name, mm. and he seems to be just, like, on all these, like, podunk... Like rando ones. We should try getting one. That'd be mad. I know. Imagine that. I get Zihard and Jim Cramer and they just beat the crap out of me. Yeah. <laughs> but either way, it'd be cool. It'd be like the WWE gear who like put us over. Yeah. Like we, we do a match with Bret Hart or something. Well, look, I mean, if I'm going to call him whatever I called him and, and he tears me a new one, I deserve it. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then after you can back, thank you. <laughs> cool. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, All right. toodle oodles. Thank you, everyone. Thanks. Disclaimer, the information discussed on this podcast is for general information only. It should not be taken as constituting professional advice from Andy, James, Andre or any guest they may speak with. We are not your financial advisors. You should consider seeking independent legal, financial, taxation or other advice to check how the information discussed on this podcast relates to your unique circumstances. We are not liable for any loss caused, whether due to negligence or otherwise arising from the use of, or reliance on, the information provided directly or indirectly, by use of this podcast. The music for today's episode is by Alexi Action from Pixabay. Thank you for listening.